Well, that's awesome. We should give you like a gold star. Minky, isn't it your job to keep track of who shows up how many times? We should send him like a surprise when he hits 50. We should send him like a chocolate bar or something that melts before it gets to him in the mail. What kind of prize is that? Is that like reaching into the Cracker Jack box and getting a chintzy toy that you could have paid a nickel for at some slot machine and going, Wow! This is what I was reaching down at the bottom of the box for. I'm so not lucky. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, welcome everybody to... So, if you want some raspberry cover, raspberry yogurt flavor covered pretzels, I have some of those, Nathan. I'll <laughs> pass. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. I've been, I've been reminded that occasionally I need to kind of go over what the show is about, what the segments are about, because we might actually get a new listener once in a while. So welcome to RPG Backtrack, where we talk about your favorite RPGs from the days of Atari right up through yesteryear. Uh, we have a panel of guests. We might have a couple more jump in the middle of the show. We will see. We'll start off talking about some really cool games. We'd like to talk about our, our main event games, are a couple of main games going through different series. And tonight we are talking about... Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? 12! 12. 12 and and 12's little expansion or, or spin-off. Spin-off, that would be a better word. So we'll be talking about that today on our main event. And then later on tonight, we'll be talking about a Blast from the Recent Past where we'll review, we'll kind of do a retro review on a couple of games that came out two years ago. And I have a special uh, uh, review or uh, go over uh, on Dungeon Dragons Tactics, which was requested by one of our listeners. All of that and... Mr. Minky's sparkling singing voice. Who could ask for anything more? Nobody. Who could ask for anything more? That's right. So, <laughs> while you think about what else you can ask for, we're going to take a brief moment and let's, let you listen to some wonderful tunes from Final Fantasy XII. We'll be right back. Grocery store had a great deal on Beck's, a 12 pack for 10.38. I just had to take advantage. Hmm, but I bet you they didn't have Final Fantasy 12 on sale. Final Fantasy 12 developed by Square Enix, published by the same, uh, distributed in Europe by Ubisoft. Go figure that one out. This <laughs> this was released in Japan on March 16, 2006, in North America on October 31, 2006. This is a single-player RPG experience for your PlayStation 2 gaming device. This is rated T4 terrific or terrible depending on which member of our panel you ask <laughs> or i ask but before we get too critical on it we first need to have a small little discussion regarding the story and plot 
Who's feeling plotty this evening? Mr. Mickey, go! <laughs> okay. Well, let's see here. We begin two years prior to the events of the main game, when Princess Ash of Dalmasca has just become married to some guy with slightly spiky hair, whose name I don't remember right now, because before he even does anything in the marriage bed with his new bride, he runs off to help defend against the Arcadian invasion and promptly gets himself killed. Well, that puts Ash into a despondent funk, as you can imagine, and her dad promptly gets killed because, uh, well, it looks like the senior soldier of the Damascan nation, Bosch von Ronsenberg, did it, but it was his brother, Judge. What's his face? Gabron. Gabron, there we go. Thank you. So many judges in this game. Hard to keep them straight. Yes, Gabron is the one. <laughs> yeah, you, you fight some of the others, but he's the one who uh, pretty much apes Darth Vader in certain scenes. Hard to get around that. Um, Darth Vader or Galvez, take your pick. Yeah, but I'd rather think of him as Golbez because if I think of him as Darth Vader, then I have to think of James Earl Jones not voicing Darth Vader, which just doesn't work. I'm sorry. Um, okay, fast forward to two years after these events. The King of Dalmasca has long been dead. Arcadia has taken over the nation. And you take up with a street rat, I think somebody actually calls him that, named Vaughn. Vaughn an urchin, actually. Oh. And they also, the leader of the people in the undertown call him the brave rat slayer. Sounds about right. So the word rat is used in connotation with him one, at one point or another, and I, he does live on the street. So um, I'm, I'm deliberately not going with that connection because it would be horrible. And he, he doesn't like the Arcadian Empire, but he's okay with it. He's going to live with it until the Arcadians stomp all over the flowers he picked for his gal friend Pinello, and that's the last straw. He can't take it anymore. They stomped all over the flowers. That was wrong. Didn't they kind of murder his brother, too? They did, and he... <laughs> but it, it is the flowers that is cl that are clearly a defining moment in him deciding to oppose the Empire. Uh, not quite true, but it is a weird thing. <laughs> And Pinello, she initially helps him with some stuff because he just runs errands around uh, Rabanast, Rabanastre. 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 There we go. But let's see. She gets kidnapped for a while, and Vaughn gets stuck with Balthier, the Sky Pirate, who is in no way like Han Solo, and no one should ever make that connotation because there is absolutely no relation between the two characters. He's... Absolutely not out for money from the Princess of the Rebellion. Nope, not at all. And he has a friend named Fran, who is uh, even less like a female Chewbacca with bunny ears who talks like Bjork. And he's with them for a while, and eventually they meet up with Princess Ash, who is, of course, not known to be Ash because she was proclaimed to be dead two years ago, but eventually that gets out, and... Bosch von Ronsenberg, who has also been locked away for two years in a dungeon, gets out and determines to clear his name. And now we're he off He has a totally to... epic beard when you save him. Bosch just looks cool. He sounds cool. Bosch is cool. Yeah, that's like one of the few high points of the game in my book. Bosch is cool. That gets into the whole development story of the game, but let's not go there quite yet. And then once everyone is united, it's time to 
Well, first we have to go find Princess Ash's proof that she is the princess, which involves running through a very large desert in order to find something that her royal ancestors left out there. Then we have to go to... Actually, we go a lot of big places with lots of things to see, lots of animals to kill. But there is a long stretch of this game where the plot is fairly sparse and you're just running around doing things. Except for the scenes where you're looking at the Imperial Senate where the Emperor is trying to weigh the task of ruling over his conquered territories while the fact that he has two sons and one of them seems to be vying for power behind the scenes is definitely a problem for him. And then he gets assassinated off screen and the Empire is taken over by Vane, who, again, seems like he should be more complex than he is. He doesn't seem like a power-hungry, bloodthirsty maniac, but he is. He d- he doesn't get enough screen time to overcome that, not really. Yeah, he's really basically one of the worst Final Fantasy villains of all Final Fantasy villandom. He's not quite as bad as Zande from Final Fantasy III. Um, <laughs> but that's, Don't you mean the cloud of darkness, Nathan? Zande's kind of the real villain. Cloud of darkness is the out-of-nowhere villain. No one remembers Zande because he's that bad. Yeah, I but... But Necron is the real final boss of Final Fantasy IX, even if you just fought Kuja. Yeah, I know. So, at least, you know, I don't know what to say Let's just move on. Yeah, I haven't even mentioned how in the opening cinematic there is, are a couple of images to- taken straight from The Phantom Menace. Look! Look at that scene of the parade at the end of the movie, then look at this cinematic. You'll go, am I seeing, am I seeing a rip straight from that movie? I think I am. And the troop carriers... Yes, those yeah. troop carriers that all the droids came onto Naboo in. Yes, I'm seeing them again here. That much makes the pointless trench run on the Sky Fortress Bahamut that you know, serves no purpose just other than to have a trench run seek. <laughs> I haven't quite gotten there. I just got through the gigantic 100 stories of the place that starts with P and has six letters, and I'm constantly not remembering its Paris. name because I'm... Thank you. Paris. Paris. I will remember it! Give me enough repetitions of the name, and I'll get it. But uh, the Bahamut is in no way the Death Star, is it? In no oh, way. No way the Death Star at all. Yeah, let's just pretend it's not. And the Arcadian capital is in no way like Coruscant, is it? No, it's in no way like it at all. But I'm poking fun at it because I have enjoyed doing that. But I, mean, I, have, I have no dislike in my fun that I'm poking. Uh, <laughs> I so do. Adrian! Yeah. What do you remember that I'm not getting yet? Honestly, it's been five years since I played the game, so I don't remember the plot all that well. I just remember certain scenes that particularly stand out in my mind. That's probably None of the ones you've mentioned so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably because there's the only scenes actually are worth in the game, because there's not that many. It's just, most of this game is not story. It's just... For how incredibly long this game can be if you let it, very, very, very little amount of that time is actually dedicated to story, and most of that time the game's trying to get to the story sequences as fast as possible, throwing as much Shakespearean Shakespearean dialogue as quickly as possible in a way that makes no sense. So basically for all how long the game... It tries to be and fails. Are Are you crazy? This thing has no resemblance to Shakespeare at all. Just because they're talking in a British accent doesn't mean that they're Shakespearean. It's the attempt. Have you ever read Shakespeare, man? 
If it was Shakespearean, uh, yes. no one would understand it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. False Shakespearean. These weird. They try to borrow weird sentence structures from older English styles and such. That just trying to sound poetic, using the same Shakespearean style of having commoners speak more plainly, other higher, not less com, more noble people speak in more ornate, flowery language, and it doesn't work. It's terrible. Uh, before we we get too much on the uh, sidetrack on this, uh, let's uh, if there's nothing else major that we want to spoil on the plot, uh, I would like to take a few minutes uh, to also talk about the individual characters and your thoughts on those. Okay. Who would like to talk about one of the characters? Like the well, <laughs> who is the main character? <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's settle okay. that real fast, and then we can probably start with that. Well, Phil, there, there's an urban legend that back when Yasumi Matsuno was developing this, you know, he of Final Fantasy Tactics and the Ogre Battle of Fame, he wanted to make Captain Bosch von Ronsenberg the main character. And not much of that remains in the finished game. Instead, we have Von, who, does he have a surname? I don't remember. Uh, he does. I just don't remember what it is. Ditto. Yeah, I can't remember if he even has one. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't remember if they mentioned it. It went over my head. And Vaughn, he's prominent in the early parts of the game, and then once the entire cast is gathered, he mostly pops up to say funny things or to tell Ash, don't you dare use the Nethesite. Hold on, I, I'm, not, I'm not squeaking my voice enough. Don't you dare use that to say. That's bad. I don't sound like him really, but he does have a squeaky voice that annoys me. I can't explain why. He just does. Yeah, the thing, Vaughn mostly exists in the game to simply say stuff that everyone kind of says. No, Vaughn has a very specific... Stay there. Vaughn has a purpose in the story. It's it's not as a main character. It's it's a, uh, a little bit more of a subtle purpose in the story. He's He's not a protagonist. He's not there to drive the plot forward. He has a major role in the early part of the story, but that is pretty much his entire role, and it's basically to start the, basically get the ball rolling, and then at that point, Bosch, Van, uh, Bosch, Ash, and Balthier take take over. Hmm. Yeah, it's, his his role after at, at that point, his role, him and Pinello actually are both there for one single purpose, and that is to represent the entirety of Dalmasca. They are essentially personifications of a Dalmasca for Ash and Bosch. Hmm. That's a fair reading, but... Yeah, no, there's one scene it's... that makes it clear. There is one scene in the game that makes it clear. It is on the That's beach. A fair reading. <laughs> it's on the beach. I can't remember which, what the name of the damn beach is called. There's a scene there Fond where... Uh, what is it? The Fawn Coast. Yes, that's, that's the one. Uh, when they get there, there's a long conversation between Balthier, Ash, and Bosch. While uh, Van, and you can see Vaughn and Pinello... Talking, uh, playing in the uh, playing in the in the background with the water there, and they're basically using them while talking. They're they're using them in the background there, representing Dalmasca while they talk about the future of their country. Yeah, pretty much. That's the thing. Like Von Pinel, basically, he outside of a couple awkward moments, or they're just for to appear in the background while the characters talk. So it's kind of a. They actually kind of liked them in the early games, so it's kind of a depressing use that the fact that they're just that much and all just being. You know, background scenery later on. Well, yeah, most of what Vaughn says in the later parts of the game boils down to uh, either some 
gate crashing comment that everyone looks at him funny for, or him playing Sam to Ash playing Frodo in Lord of the Rings over the Nest site. Very much. Um, but yeah, since his voice did great on me, I'm kind of glad he didn't st- talk too much later on. But as a character, again, I think we're seeing the the fact that he was introduced after Matsuno left. No, he wasn't. Wasn't he? Okay. No, he wasn't. He was actually one of the first characters revealed for the game back in 2004. Him and Ash were the first two characters revealed for the game. But wasn't yeah, the game on yeah, development Matsuno, since 2001? Kind of was. But it's probably the only minor degree for a while. It's probably only in like early pre-production. But the thing is that like Vaughn, I'm probably sure, probably was designed as the main character from fairly early on. It's just that Matsuno wanted Bosch, but he basically was rejected immediately. And so they instead just focused on Vaughn from early on, but that's kind of a messy point, I think. Mm. Okay. Okay, so after Vaughn, there's Pinello, who is pretty much his girlfriend. And yeah. um, that's about all there is to his, her character. Yeah, she's more so of his sister. No, she's more a girlfriend. No, there is a scene in the early game where he's clearly hitting on Ash, so I would say she plays more of a sister role. She's more motherly than uh, and protective than a, a girlfriend would be. Yeah, Which is more... weird, considering she's, what, 16? Yeah, she's more actually clingy in many ways. The whole, well, it's like, just don't leave me alone kind of statement. It's all like she, just, she just wants to be with Vaughn no matter what. Yeah, it comes across more romantic than anything else. Especially, I, I, never, I never saw any kind of romance between those two at all. It always seemed like a, a family relationship. Especially since they were growing up together pretty much the entire time during the game. Yeah, I always thought more romantic, and certainly I didn't. I don't really see too much romantic between Vaughn and Ash. Really, it's really. Well, more... there was one. There was one scene. There was one scene, and then they ignored it for the rest of the game. And I think that was kind of stupid too. But yeah, Ash, because well, we'll get to Ash in a minute. Pinello, she comes along to help Vaughn and protect him, and that's pretty much her character, isn't it? Yeah, she's she really pretty... doesn't. She really doesn't serve a lot of purpose in the game, other than to be adorable. And I, I don't remember exactly why, but I kept her in my active party for a while, and soon enough, she was higher level than the people not in my active party, so I just kept her there. And she has good magic stats. I'll, I'll give her that. Yeah, she's the, the greatest, best mage in the game, which is a nice plus. Which is weird that she starts with a dagger. <laughs> Yeah, but everyone starts with either a dagger or a sword, so, I mean, it doesn't say much. No, no, Fran starts with a bow. Oh, yeah. yeah, and Balthier starts with a gun. Okay, well, yeah, but still, doesn't mean much. You can just get a, de- a good staff bar right off the bat, and that's no problem. Speaking of Balthier, he's pretty cool. Yeah, Balthier's... Oh, he's the leading man. <laughs> As he proclaims himself, I am the leading man in this story. Yes, he's quite true in that because every time he's on the scene, every time he appears, he steals the scene. He really this does. Genet- this apparently genetics because his father is the exact same way. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the father when we get to all the people we don't play as. I think because okay, his, okay. his dad is interesting, but Balthier uh, he has a great voice. He's an interesting character, even if he does share a lot of traits. Completely accidentally, I'm sure, with Han Solo. And he's got a little bit more of he's got he's got more class than Han Solo. He does. Yeah, he's the high class Han Solo. Yeah, we never learned anything about Han Solo's family, and we do learn about Balthier's well, his dad at least, and his brother. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And then there's Fran, who... Okay, I haven't spent much time listening to Bjork. Does she really sound like Bjork, or is it just me? No, I don't think so. Then what does she sound like? I don't know. Pretentious elf? <laughs> I don't know what that accent is, honestly. It's it's not... I don't think it's Icelandic, but it's... uh. It's definitely Eastern European. The miss is... No, I'm not doing it right. I'm instead trying to do Alcid's accent. Romanian, maybe. I don't know. Could be. Although, I knew someone from Romania, and she didn't sound like that. Uh, And Fran is, again, pretty much Chewbacca, although with more backstory. She's basically there to look hot. She's the sex appeal of the game. Yes, as... Adrian, have you seen Spoonie's Final Fantasy X reviews? No, I ignore that uh, website as okay. much as possible. He did a he did a butt count on that game, and he could easily do that for Fran because her butt is very very prominent in the cinemas, given that she seems to be wearing leather and no underwear. I'm sorry, but it, it's being thrown right in my face. I, I, I think her outfit is her underwear. Yeah, the Vera don't exactly wear a lot of clothes. They don't Chicken believe in it. It's, it's a cultural thing. It's a good thing they live in an the environment hat. that doesn't require clothing, then. I don't know. And with all, the, with all the mist around them, I mean, their skin probably gets nice and sticky. <laughs> Which begs the question of why you would Beated wear leather. water all over it. I would not wear leather in those environmental conditions, but that's just me. <laughs> okay, that's Fran. Then there's Princess Ash, who, well, she's... Character-wise, kind of like Amidala, but a lot more focused. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's she is intense most of the she's time. Really, the worst character in the game too. Puts, the story puts the most focus on her, and all she does is angst and do what people tell her to do. Like basically, she spends the entire game doing whatever anyone tells her to do, even though it's ridiculous. And then the very end of the game, when she finally makes the big deal about making a choice, she chooses to do exactly what everyone around her has been telling her to do the entire time. And that's Ash in a nutshell. Since I'm not quite done with it yet, I can't judge how she turns out at the end, but um, yeah, I got I got nothing ready right now. Adrian, your thoughts? Again, five years since I played the game, man. I really don't remember the plot that well. Ditto. <laughs> Honestly, I, didn't, I never really had a problem with Ash as a character. She didn't interest me as much as, say, Balthier and Bash did, but uh, I, I never had a problem with her, really. Um... The miniskirt was weird. Yeah, that that's that's part of let's just name's weird designs. I I I yeah, I have to say he's he's got an interesting taste. Well, who was that guy who designed that? I'm gonna look it up now because now it's gonna bug me. Nomura? No, it's not Nomura. Thank God. Oh, let's see here. Uh, uh, Akihiko Yoshida. The characters were designed by Akihiko Yoshida. And yeah, wasn't he the same one who did Tin? Did he? I thought Nomura did those. Uh, uh, I have to uh, no, Amano did Tin. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, Yoshida does the art for Falsy Tactics and Vagrant Story. Mm-hmm. So basically, the person responsible for Ashley Riot's buttless pants. Well, it makes sense when you think about it because, uh, well, 12 takes place in the same, uh, same universe as Tactics. Well,. Does thinks of Final Fantasy twelve. I don't think it strictly does so originally. It's kind of a confused point. What? No, no, no. Final Fantasy twelve was always intended to be the same world as Final Fantasy Tactics. 
Well, I know that, but I mean, it's like Vagrant's story wasn't necessarily the same world. As oh, no, that that wasn't always supposed to be that way. I'm, and I think that's just something some fans invented. I don't think it's actually supposed to be. Well, it's 12 strongly implies it by putting Valendia, the main region of... You know, there's a lot of referencing to Vagrant's story, but like Valendia, the main continent from Vagrant's story, in as a continent in the world of Fossil 12's Evil and stuff like that. Hmm. You know, before we go further on the geography of the game, we have we have one more protagonist to mention, Bosch von Ronsenberg, who we uh, touched he's on. He's the but... game's good twin. There's the good twin and the evil twin, and he's the good twin. Uh, I so hate the good twin, evil twin divide. At least Bosch and Gabrant are kind of interesting ones, even though Gabrant's evil is kind of forced, and Bosch is just cool in comparison. Yeah, if Yasumi Matsuno had seen the whole thing through, then Bosch would have been the protagonist all the way through. And well, he was the protagonist the whole way through. They can't hide no, that. They just had. Ash they had, just really had is. Well, like you said, though, Ash. Ash is she. She's like the important character, but Bosch is the one who's driving the story. Like you said, she is basically doing everything that everyone else has to say, especially Bosch. Bosch is the one who's well, leading no, the story. Like that more... makes him the protagonist. I mean, no, it's like Bosch doesn't actually really tell her much to do. He just kind of serves her or loyally and doesn't actually have much impact on the major decisions. Ash mostly follows the directions of people like Larsa or even Sid or what other major figures telling her stuff. Mostly Larsa, I think. Or just basically whoever last told her something, something of do this, she does it. It's typically not Bosch. And Bosch, he doesn't actually say a whole lot. I'm going through the game, he. He only pipes up for important stuff and mostly stays quiet in the background, which kind of fits his character, given that he's a man condemned by his entire nation for something he didn't do and trying to redeem his honor. And that's a good quest. It is. And the whole thing of his destroyed homelands and his brother who suffered equally from the destroyed homelands and took a different path and how they fight against each other because of that. Well, let's see. What else is there to say about Bosch? Aside from... He's a badass? Well, that, that should go without saying, really, to anybody who's played it. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll come up with more. In the meantime, we can go with the rogues gallery of side characters like Balthier's dad. Who is? The cuckoo Dr. Sid. He is the one redeeming character of this entire game, in my opinion. It's just, I hate the villains for this game. I really do. But I don't hate Sid. He just steals the show. He, He's just fun and amazing and over the top. He's just a great, amusingly fun character to encounter. And just, why couldn't more of the game been about the crazy Dr. Sid? It's been so much better. I'll give you the crazy part right now. I just fought him at the top of Pharos, and what did he do? He pulled a Gatling gun out of his pocket and shot me with it. I don't know how he did that. It must have been science! And random death rays and all the other crazy stuff he does. The fun, just how over the top he is with all of his everything. Yeah, he's over the top, but not stratospherically over the top. Yep. He doesn't overdo it. He just does it enough to make it fun. And speaking of Sid, there's another Sid in this game. Al Sid from the, uh, what is it, the Rabanas? No, the the uh, the other empire on um, that we never go to, right? Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what it's called now. And he speaks like Angelina Jolie and Alexander trying to blend together six different accents of Eastern Europe, and it makes me hate him just as much as I hated Angelina Jolie and Alexander. Uh, 
But as a character, he's interesting since he's the only member of the gigantic nation that the Arcadian Empire is forever wary of. His execution just makes me go, really? This is what I'm looking at here? Yeah. It's, he just shows up a couple of times, and I don't even know what they're trying to do with him sometimes. My Lady Arj, I really must convince you that it would be unwise for us to continue the offensive against Arcadia. It is a bad idea. I'm not doing it quite right, but it's hard to blend that many accents in one speech. Oh, and of course he hits on Ash. I think he, I think the game is trying to present him as some kind of ladies' man. Yeah, it's kind of got a whole weird... And the game only has one woman flying around, but I think there's concept of him from this whole harem flying around at all times, or something like that. There's the kind of the quiet people who only just do exactly what he wants without him even needing to ask at all times. It's kind of creepy. Okay. Okay, more, more side characters. Let's see here. Like... Like... Who's the guy I, ju- I just saw die at the top of Pharos? I can't remember his name. It just, he does the big epic death scene, and it just doesn't ma- matter it, anything to me. So I can't it remember the guy, the guy with the pink shorts? Is that yes, him? the guy with the pink pants. Redis? Yes, Redis. Redis, there we go, yeah. Thank you. Redis. The guy is hilarious just because of his pink shorts. <laughs> yeah, and his attitude the... that doesn't acknowledge them at all. <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> He's to- so badass that he can wear pink shorts, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, and he's also the choking he, he black guy who off. dies. That's his job. He's also badass enough to be in the entire Pharaoh's Tower with you, which means he's in for the long haul. Yeah, that is true. That's one thing I really like about this game, actually, is that uh, the side characters you encounter actually stick with you and actually help you fight. Not, yeah, a, quite... not a lot of games do that. Yeah, they're kind of like the guest characters who can actually join in, like, falsy tactics or tactics ogre more than, you know, typical just NPC who joins for only, like, five fights or something. This, a lot of some of them stick with you for a long portion of the game, too. Yeah, like Marissa. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Larsa stood you forever. Like, Vossler's with you for quite a while before he betrays you. Redis is in there for quite a bit, too. Yeah. He is. Mostly just the Pharaohs, but that's an awfully long trick of the game. Or is he with you with Gary Vagan? I can't remember if he's with you in Gary Vagan. No. Who was. Um, nobody was with me in Gary Vagan. Okay. But Larsa, yeah, we haven't really touched on him except that he's the younger brother of Vane and thus jockeying for power even if he doesn't particularly want to in the imperial hierarchy i think he's one of my favorite characters in the game actually i I found him to be a really interesting character you don't see a child character with that much uh maturity yeah exactly very often he uh he he actually did stuff in the game he he served a role he was an important character in the game actually he's probably one of the driving forces of this game's story for a lot a lot of it too yeah, I was for a while, long while I was under the impression that just Fossey 12 would be a lot better if they actually made Larsa the main character and actually focused a lot more on the internal Arcadius politics rather than, you know, Ash's story of running across the countryside for forever doing nothing. I, de- I definitely would have loved to have him as a main party member. That would have been really awesome. Yeah, at least when he's not in the main party member, he has this infinite supply of powerful potions to give you, which is helpful. Yes, that is awesome. Let's see here. Who was the guy whose name started with V who betrayed you early on? Fossler. Fossler, yes. And, yeah. That that was unusual, at least, having somebody who had just been helping me in battle be a boss. Yeah, it's just Loyal Knight who, because of the crazy circumstances, 
that has his loyalty tested to the limit. Kind of probably could have been played up a bit better, but eh, I'm just being picky about the game because I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I am getting hints to that. <laughs> I thought I was being subtle about it. <laughs> okay, who am I forgetting? Because there is a pretty big cast in this game, although half the people you don't see very often. Well, there's the... Um, what are they called? The god beings? Oh, they don't count. They show up in one scene. Yeah, well, one... There was the one that shows up a bit more often, which is actually kind of an interesting character. I can't remember its name. The, the one that helps Sid? Yeah, the one that's with Sid all, all the time. It's kind of interesting too because like, it's more or less the main agent that's causing all of the terrible, bad things happening around the game. But it's actually really polite and kind of likable and seems to be fairly honorable and respectful of everything. It's really much more likable than all of the other ones, which, you know, are so utterly obnoxious. Yeah, I I picked up on that when I looked at all those plaques in the Tower of Pharaohs, most of which were left by them, proclaiming how they are eternal and humanity is weak and mortal and they are just awesome because of that. And boy, how dare you think anything less of them because of their immortality. And after reading about the dozenth one of those, I kind of got the <laughs> idea that, you know, they might be more insecure than I would have thought for immortal beings that are so much better than humans. Yeah, it's just, I really wanted to punch one of them after all of that, but you don't get the chance. You don't really get to fight a proper Akirian and out of that set uh, for the, the rest of the game. Unless it's in like the post-game I didn't play through. Yeah, the post-game is a thing that I'll probably not delve too deeply into, but we haven't gotten there yet. We're still in the main game. Let's see. Yeah, who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, the guy who narrates the chapter breaks, the Marquis, or the Marquis. Marquis. Yeah, Marquis. I'm never sure if it's even a remotely valid pronunciation of that. I always thought it was Marquis, but whatever. And they Mar- always Mar- pronounced it Marquis. Uh, that, that weirded me on the game, too. I always thought it was pronounced Marquis as well. Although I, yeah, I've heard it that... It is uh, pronounced Marquis, I, I think. I think it depends on uh, what uh, language the word is coming out of. Um... Yeah, I, I think, think it is. Fr- I, I think in French it is marquis, but I think in certain la- I think uh, in certain languages, I think in English actually it's pronounced marquis. Nah, English has so many weird pronunciations. Yeah, and it probably varies depending upon where you live. It's possible. Uh, you have to wonder why he's using that pronunciation, considering he's rather blatantly Indian. I think him and <laughs> silent. Yeah, dic- dictionary has uh, dictionary dot com has it pronounced as either marquis or marquis. Marquis is uh, the French pronunciation. Marquis apparently is the English. Well, we know which FF12 went with, but then again, since it tries to take on an English tone for most of the cutscenes, I can understand why it would go with that pronunciation. At least it spares us such things as Drakengartud's lieutenant, which is, I know, somewhere in English pronunciation, but I don't want to hear it. We can thank the Brits for that. Um, I had a thought. I'm going to recapture it. Very shortly. It was a good one, too. Oh, yes. Aside from his come-again, off-again accent of vaguely Indian style, the Marquis, aside from being your narrator between chapters, is the leader of the Resistance. And with that means you get a scene pretty much taken straight from Return of the Jedi where the Resistance fleet is massing. Yeah, pretty much. But he doesn't immediately take over the resistance leadership because he first gives Ash the brush off and then only later 
once it becomes clear that she is in fact the person she claimed to be and since he proclaimed her death two years ago as a public relations stunt or whatever he kind of has to help her or be forever discredited among his people he's just in a really weird role in the plot where he's sometimes helping you out sometimes hurting you sometimes you're supposed to be saying oh no he's a bad guy other times no he's a good guy it's like the plot itself doesn't really know what you're supposed to think of him it's not even like it's kind of vague or interesting. It's just confused. I will say that it would have been truly unique if he had been a villain narrating the proceedings. That would have put an interesting twist on things, but I don't think he is. No, he's just a guy who does stuff. <laughs> that narrows it down. That only describes about everyone who is male in the cast. But it is, it is accurate. I, will, I cannot deny it. Let's see. So aside from our narrator, uh, I think we might have run through all the major personalities, except for Vane, who appears yeah. early on to take over as the, what was it, the proconsul of Delmasca? It was something like that. Yeah, he's basically yeah. in charge of the, I think it was a consul or viceroy, I can't remember. And he makes a speech to the public, which is interesting because he's trying to reconcile the occupation of the country with the needs of its people, which is not something you'd expect a bloodthirsty despot to say. But then after that, you just don't see much of him. You hear about him in those imperial scenes at the Senate, but you don't yeah. really see him again until late in the game when he sends the Branth off to try and find out whether Ash is set on vengeance or peace. Yeah, this is the thing that he he's definitely the victim of this game's tendency to do the whole – it tells you things rather than shows you things. They, you, a lot of people talk about him, but they do very little show him. He's got one scene, which for me came about 50 hours into the game, where he did finally acted like a proper villain. And then he didn't show up at all on screen for another 50 hours. So that's the kind of thing he is. He's just absent. Maybe if Matsuno had stayed through the whole production – Actually, this might be a good time to bring up, for anybody who doesn't know, the interesting production history of this game. Because I'm, pr I'm pretty sure it started production in 2001 under Yasumi Matsuno. And then he had what Square will never officially call a breakdown, but nevertheless is, and was replaced by, among others, Akitoshi Kawazu, our favorite polarizing face around here. And as you'd expect especially since it took five years to put out the game, the development left some sh left some signs of uh, irregularity. Yeah, from what I can gather, the good reason Matsuno had his, just left the whole development is because of things like he want, had a certain vision for the game, a certain way he wanted things done, and he basically didn't have any power to actually do it the way he wanted. Like, he wanted classic-style airships, but the guy in charge of designing the airships simply didn't want to do that, and simply overwrote his decision and did things his own way and made the kind of stylistic airships you see in the game. So stuff like that kept happening to him, I think. Sad, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does that cover pretty much everybody on the development front? I mean, there are, there are other names, but I can't remember most of them right now. Except that this is the first Final Fantasy game Hironobu Sakaguchi did not have any involvement with. Hmm. Yeah, there's only comments on it after the fact was, I believe, something along the lines of, it plays like a game where the director left halfway through. That's what all he ever said about it, which isn't exactly praise. 
And then he went and released Blue Dragon. <laughs> but he also released Lost Odyssey, didn't he? Yes, but you know what? The gameplay on that game was terrible. The only <laughs> the only redeeming value of that game was its story, which was absolutely fantastic. Well, whatever magic Sakaguchi he once had, he's having a tough time recapturing. actually be well placed to start talking about how the game plays or are we well sure why not <laughs> the game is i guess it's all summed up with the word gambits that's about it the game is gambits you tell you program the things to act and then they kind of act for you half the time and you go through 10 million fights that way oh gambits are your friends so gambits, <laughs> gambits are the center of some debate in uh, with this particular game. So uh, in Final Fantasy XII, uh, the battle system, I, you really can't get into gambits, I don't think, without at least jumping a little bit into the fact that the battle system, uh, in the way battles work, it's a departure from previous uh, iterations in the series. Uh, as your character is running around the open field, you actually see the monsters in the open field and you engage them. The screen doesn't break away. It's not like uh, Chrono Trigger even where in Chrono Trigger you can see the monsters but once you touch them, you go into a separate battle screen. No, in Final Fantasy XII, the land everywhere that you're running around that you see monsters, you can engage them right then and there. It works very much like an MMO. I mean, it's exact. It's seamless. It's, it's very... Thank you. That's a better word. I should go to... Uh, so... Um, so you can literally run around the fields and you can engage a monster here, a monster there. You can group a bunch together and do more than one at a time if you like. Um... And and the and the game is moving in very much in a in kind of a real time. I mean, you already had Final Fantasy games, of course, that had an action bar and things kind of cruised along. Here, because that transition is seamless and it seems to move a little bit faster, things really kind of kick off. So the game has uh, because you're fighting and you're running around so much and you're dealing with three party members at, at one time. Uh, and in a way, this can feel like an MMO. It can get a bit overwhelming. In an MMO, you only have to control one character. In this one, you're running three characters. Um, so you have gambits, and gambits are basically lines of artificial intelligence code. Uh, you can set up your characters to automatically attack the first enemy they see or the enemy that's closest or the one with the least hit points. Uh, you can set up gambits that automatically cure uh, the party member who has uh, less than 50% hit points or set up more complex uh, gambits that can uh, make sure that, it he that your characters automatically heal certain status ailments. So so uh, the one of the things about Final Fantasy XII is they don't give you all of these gambits at once. Uh, they, Actually, they're really darn restrictive on which ones they give you for a long while. Yeah. Infuriating. Yeah, they kind of spoon-feed them to you over the course of, I boy, boy, quite a number of hours. So, yeah, uh, you like the last essential ones, but right before Pharaohs, I think. It's really crazy. Yeah. Is it vacant? One of those. Mm -hmm. Really late. Um... 
And so it, it, it's kind of cool. It would have been a lot cooler, in my opinion. I agree with you. If they had uh, given that, you know, all at once, maybe after a little tutorial or something like that, that would have been pretty, pretty cool. Um, but nope, they didn't. They <laughs> they kind of spoon fed for So you kind of deal with what you're given with, and 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 it, it and so this is where some people get some crankiness issues because now they will claim that hey, the game is sort of uh, playing itself. And, uh, you know, if you got the right gambits and stuff, you could just sit there and kind of, you know, farm or just run around circles. But the game's really playing itself. So so why do you need a player for? And, and so a lot of a lot of players uh, boohooed uh, the whole gambit thing because they they felt like that that kind of took away from it. Well, so well, I'll, I'll give you I wanted to say something about gambits here. A lot of people don't give them the respect they deserve because it is one of the most brilliant innovations in artificial intelligence programming in gaming history uh it's it's the first game at least to my knowledge that actually put direct control of your character's ai in the player's hand and it's been it's actually been borrowed now by bioware for the dragon age series and yeah. that that should just be a sign of how impressive and important a development it really was mm. yeah the camera system is definitely a great idea it really helps streamline the game like Honestly, I find a lot of the normal battles seem to be really tedious. You need to do a lot of stuff. Like you need to basically steal from every enemy if you want to get a decent amount of money in the game, and lots of things like that. And gambits really help a lot of that flow a lot better and work a lot better. I mean, they could be improved a bit. The basic gamble implementation is a bit limiting. The, the choices you have on what triggers to set and, and such are don't make a lot of sense. Sometimes they're a bit awkward. You don't, you can't both do a trigger and a target separately like you can in Dragon Age. And the game could really use some things like being able to actually save multiple different sets of gambits so you could flip between easily without having to reprogram them all manually in the menu. And it's something more like the White Knight Chronicles Q system where you can spur creatures onto special action just by hitting a button rather than having to manually command them would be kind of nice too. But well, all, that, to, to all those are games that came afterwards. They're all games that built yeah, on White Knight Chronicles yeah. started. Yeah, I mean, Fox Twelve is definitely a good game because it introduced a lot of these ideas, which are quite interesting. And good. I mean, up until that time, the closest thing I think I, I've seen to that was maybe the artificial intelligence and maybe something like a Baldur's Gate or something. And there was very little. I don't think there was a whole lot of customization there. No cast spells, do cast spells. It was it was stay still or you know do what you want. It was very you know in other games like that. It was very simplistic. But what isn't simplistic? What is very deep and intelligent is Miss Becky Cunningham. Welcome to the show. You guys, you guys dragged me dra dragged me out of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, and although really the only man I would truly leave Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning for besides my husband is Balthier. So lucky for you, we're doing Final <laughs> Fantasy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, yeah, I, I think we're quite ready to hear more thoughts on how awesome Balfir is. He proclaims yeah, himself the leading man, and he earns it. Well, yes, but I'm sure you guys probably didn't talk about the fact that he's totally sexy pants. Oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the sort of thought that. that really occurs to us, or at least not to me. He, he is definitely a, a male character that that appeals to the women folk. Not so much as Bosch, or more so. Well, he's definitely more my type, but you guys know me. I'm a pirate. Mm. Okay. So, it's true. The Sky Pirate would appeal. So I, I was not particularly interested in Bosch. I thought he was fairly boring. Well, we, we, How about Fran? Fran's okay. 
I used her as my... I, I played this whole game with a three-person party. I never switched anybody in and out. My party was Ash, Fran, and Balthier. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the rest of the cast. By the way, Becky, I should ask, um, is Fran speaking with an Icelandic accent? I don't know what the heck accent Fran has, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it, too. Uh, I'm, not ter- I'm not terribly familiar with the Icelandic accent. She, and she's got to be one of the best-looking PlayStation 2 character models. Okay, anyways, so... <laughs> No, we're not. We're not going to go down that. I mean, what was it last week? We were talking about cat girls and stuff, and uh, now we're talking about rabbit girls. I mean, there's a theme. There's a theme to all these games. Minky's peeking out, uh, picking out for us uh, to talk Bill, about. I have seen many kinds of rats, and none of them have ears like they like these Vieira. Are, are we gonna? She's, she's a rabbit. Girl. That's why I said rabbit. I kind of slurred off the tongue because I'm I'm drinking like 90 proof at the moment, so things get a little slurry from here on out. But uh, yeah, it's going to be the Harvest this... Moon podcast all over again. Well, it depends on whether or not I get the rest of this drink down. But you know what I did this time was I combined two different liquors, and I've been assured that when you combine two different liquors, you get an awesome multiplic- multiplicative effect. So that's awesome. Anyway, uh, so um. Uh, no, I mean, first it was Cat Girls, now it's Bunny Girls. I, I like the way this podcast is going, Mike. Keep up the good work. I, Mike, uh, let's Mike, not even think about what's going to happen next time. I, I don't want to think about it right now either. Play, Playboy, the Animal Edition? What, what are those? Anyways, so... You came up with that, Phil. I didn't. We were talking about the um, uh, the Gambit system and... The, and, and I re- you know, I remember reading a lot of uh, comments and, and forum posts about how people weren't super keen on the whole gambit thing. And, and my, my response to that was, you can always, you know, post it, you know, handle it like you did any other Final Fantasy and just pick your choices as yeah. you go along. I can give you a quick tour of that. Yeah. Here's how you do it. You press – you manually have everybody do something, then you quickly have them do it again, and let me tell you. It gets wearying to have to do that over and over and over. Oh, with. you can always you can always set two characters up with gambits and leave one manual. You know, you can always and the and the really nice thing about the gambit system is that you can you, you once you get your gambit set up, it's not really like you can put your characters on cruise control unless you're just farming something that's really you know you're in an area that's really below your level. You have to keep your eyes open because occasionally surprise will happen, a critical hit or a monster will throw out a spell you weren't expecting, or heaven forbid you're going up against a, a harder enemies or a boss, and you do have to jump in. To intervene and, and tweak here and there. Now, seeing a, a characters die all the time really too, so you might need to go manually use a uh, a phoenix down or a revive spell if you don't have a gambit core set up. Or you might need to swap a party in and out because half of the team is dead. Half of the team is dead. And that was a cool thing too. Yeah, you can swap out. You have uh, you have a number of characters. You can swap out the dead ones for fresh ones. Uh, hopefully, you don't kill them all off because that's, okay. that's probably a game over. Three character um, party, man. Yeah, but but I, I you know I'm doing what Becky did. I, I will say that um, I did a six-person party myself. My yes, no wonder it took you so long, Nathan. After after no. everybody who's listened to the show knows my grease with JRPGs. I just hate the fact that nine tenths of the battle come out to attack, attack, heal, attack, attack, heal, and you're just putting in the same commands. And there's not a whole lot of thought process. For me, this was just 
awesome because the generic commands that I put in for 90% of the battles could be fully automated with the gambits. And then for the ten, other 10%, I keep my eyes open. When that 10% would happen, then I could just jump in and do something really fast. And it sounds kind of lazy, but you know what? I'm playing a bloody game. And you know what? I play games because I'm freaking lazy and I want to freaking relax. So, Well, that's one of the <laughs> great things about this game, too, is that the boss fights were fantastic. They, they used stuff that most Final Fantasy games ignore. Mm -hmm. They debuffed constantly. Uh, you needed to use your own buffing spells constantly. It, it oh, was yes. something that just most Final oh. Fantasy games, most of those spells, like, 90%, in most Final Fantasy games, 90% of the spells are freaking useless. You're, I mean, how often does your mage cast anything other than Fire, Blizzard, and Thunder, uh, thunder exactly. in the Final Fantasy no, game? No, you're exactly and, right. And, and, you know, the, the Gambit system with buffs and stuff made me wish, kind of wish I had Gambits for any of the buffing characters I have in MMORPGs because I'm terrible at remembering to cast those stupid things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so to, to clarify a little bit... Uh, you know, as, you, as, you, as Becky mentioned, most of you who played MMOs, you know, you got some buffs on your character. They last 10, 20 minutes or seconds or whatever, and you, you know, uh, you have to keep, you know, pressing them every 20 minutes or you forget and you lose the buff. In Final Fantasy, you set up that gambit to put shell on everybody when, as long as, long as that's, you know, in the right place on your gambit list, it'll automatically cast shell every time it wears off. It's awesome sauce. It's just... Yeah, my, my gambit that worked really well that I, I thought it was always really good was uh, just set it up so if you're not in combat, cast all your buff spells. That way, you don't waste time when you're in battle, and you're always going to be buffed when you go into battle. It, and and it's yep. it's great. It kind of reminds me of the old pen and paper games where you would do a lot of your buffing before battle, <laughs> as opposed to most Final Fantasy games, you have to wait for the screen to break away. Spells don't count. You know, buffing spells, you can't even cast them outside of combat. you got to wait for the screen to break away, and you got to use up precious turns casting them, and, and a lot of times they're just not even worth it unless it's a really long boss battle. But you're right. Here, you can get them cast before hand and your gambits can take away all the extra finger work of going through the menus 500 times to do that it, it was just it, to and, me and it was very liberating to set up a tank character i had ash as my tank mm -hmm. so um so and you could have her do the uh, i forget there was a tank command that would do everything provoke or something like that isn't it provoke or something like so i had her doing that all the time and then i had fran um automatically buffing haste up on everybody whenever she could and, and it got pretty awesome after a while the one gambit I could never get perfect in this game, and it bugged the hell out of me, was a stealing gambit. Steal creating a, a good stealing, stealing gambit though. was so hard. Well, that was actually the first thing I did in the game. Stealing gambit is actually not too hard. The basic idea. No, is well, just... the, the the problem is, is that if you set it up as when uh, enemy is like 100% HP steal or something like that, it'll keep stealing until the enemy gets hit. There's there's no command that says steal until they don't have anything to steal. And that's that's. I know, there's a trick thing. to that. There's a trick to that. The key is to have them steal from the enemy. Basically, I've always had setups so the two companion characters always steal so long as the main character wasn't targeting something. So once they steal, you have the two secondary characters stealing randomly, but then once they catch it, then you immediately have the main character target it, and then suddenly everyone's attacking it. And that's the, the, the main the thing. thing. I yeah, made, I had uh, something like that what, going on mine. What I did, uh, I thought this worked pretty. Really, this ended up working pretty well. Is I had a. Uh, one character had uh, had a gambit if HP is 100% steal, uh -huh. and another character I had set up if HP is 100% uh, attack. So basically, what would happen as soon as the battle would start, one character would steal from this character, and the other one would attack it, so its HP is no longer 100%. Then the other one would go steal from the next enemy, attack it, so it's no longer 100%, and just keep doing that until everything had been stolen from and attacked. Yeah, and that's that's kind of pretty much what I did, and um, so I kind of like the other ideas though, and that's kind of the cool things about gambits. They are, uh, you know, even though this was 
probably the earliest, as we mentioned before, probably the earliest iteration of really putting some AI commands for other party members in the player's hands. It was fairly deep, and you could definitely come up with different combos that could be more or less uh, effective than other combos. Uh, I just I just thought it was pure genius, and, and part of the fun was setting up some gambits, running through some random encounters. Well, random, they're right there in front of your face, but going through some encounters, seeing how it worked out, and then tweaking it a bit. And, and that was part of the fun of the game. I I just thought it was it was awesome. I just it was hard for me to go back to attack, attack, heal, picking things off of menus for every single little evil encounter, pressing buttons hundreds of times after playing Final Fantasy twelve. And 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 I mean that leads us to thirteen and the paradigm shifts. But I don't know. I just I, I absolutely adored it. I do wish that thirteen had incorporated some gambits in for the characters you weren't controlling. Well, the thirteen kind of does because that's basically what the paradigms are. They're gambits. They're well, not AI quite. Command not quite. What, I, I think what Becky's suggesting is that it would have been cool if we could, like, for each role, we could manually select which spells yeah. that we wanted them to cast in order. Basically, I just wanted stinking hope to heal the stinking person. I stinking wanted him to heal. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been a lot. It would have be been helpful, that. and it definitely would have been useful for like saboteurs and uh, synergists to be able to yeah, prioritize which buffs you want. Now that we've derailed dive- dive- thirteen a bit, <laughs> sorry. So we talked. Yeah. Uh, how about how about we mention some of the more memorable boss encounters? Because I can think of a few right now. Yeah. yeah, the boss encounters in this game are actually kind of interesting and fun. They're the only. Honestly, for me, the only part of this game which is actually worthwhile, other than a couple of cool scenes involving Sid Id and Balthier, are the boss fights. And just basically, there's a ton of really good ones. Basically, any of the ones for trying to get an Esper is a tough, exciting fight, which has got crazy rules and puts yeah, you through a lot of challenges. Except for the mandatory ones, the only Esper I stumbled onto was Zeromus, and he promptly destroyed me, which means that I uh, did not try Zeromus again. <laughs> Sorry. I hadn't saved for an hour at that point, so I was kind of ticked off that I blundered along. Oh, it says it's reacting with this stone. Let me put it in. Oh, there's a door I've never been into. Let's go inside. Ah, it's Zeramus. He's gravigating me. Ah, he's spawning skeletons. Ah, I'm dead. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that happened to me too once or twice. Uh, okay. Times. Anybody remember Rafflesia, the, the gigantic flower that just – Yes. That kicked my ass the first time I fought it. Same here. <laughs> It has terrible defense, so I thought I was doing great. Well, and then the, it, the, the, the trick, is, the problem with that one is that it debuffs like crazy, and you're not necessarily expecting it when it happens. As soon as you go in there with a good like uh, dispelling gambit, you're you're set. Yeah, at first when it used the debuffs, everybody got hit with what five or six status ailments at yeah, once. They exactly. were all confused and moronic. And then it summons a bunch of Malboros, which only compounds the problem, and then we're all dead. Yay! Yeah, it's like. I think Zeromus is actually one of my favorite fights of the whole game, simply because the whole point's the point where the one time in the entire game where I went into the menu and leveled up someone to teach someone a license and to get a, to learn a technique just to use once for that boss, which is the revive thing, because just you can't use I believe it's you can't use items or is it magic in that fight? Magic. Magic. Yeah, you can't use magic in that fight. So normal reviving techniques don't work so well. So I had to use <laughs> so time I had the revived technique where you sacrifice the kid's life to revive someone else was actually helpful to me. And it's just I had to sit manually set all my gambits just for that fight and which I had to do a few times for Espers. And now, a bunch of other final fun. bosses from the series are in here, right? Yeah, most of the a lot of the early ones. Like let's see here. Isn't um, it Ex- Chaos, Exodus in there somewhere? Yeah, Chaos, Exodus, aka X Death. Uh, the cloud of darkness in its own vague way through Pomfret. 
Um, I can't remember if there's any reference to the Emperor. There's an Omega weapon. Which I haven't even found, but then again, this game is huge. Well, the Omega weapon is the ultimate boss. That's the one that has 10 million HP and takes forever to kill. Yeah, yeah. considering the best hit you can possibly deliver in the game is... 9999. Yeah. Um, let's see, Actually, Daedalus gave me a hard time the first run through because, like a lot of these bosses, his defense just skyrockets when you get him close to death. And his offense skyrockets too, so he kind of ripped me to shreds at the end there, and then I went in with a better set of gambits and took him out finally, but yeah, he took me down pretty hard. One of the bosses I always remember, I can't remember the boss, but I just remember the fight, is the one where uh, Fran goes crazy on the mist and just goes into a <laughs> drunken rage. Oh yes, and that's the one where Balthier <laughs> precedes it by saying, uh, I always knew Fran didn't like to be tied up. I never knew how much <laughs> them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you, Balthier. Great Balthier moments. We can make a gallery. <laughs> They're all great to, Balthier I, moments. I'm trying to remember what the first line he said was. It was a classic. I'm the hero of this story. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. He says something to Van. He says something cocky to Van when he steals the stuff that he was trying to steal. Yeah, Van was, was trying to steal that thing in the palace, and Balthier was trying yeah. to steal it too. And rather than just go mad on on Van, Balthier goes cocky and cool. That's the way. And Van he has steals no it and runs off. And I was all like, "Oh, there's my man!" <laughs> and my husband was laughing at me because he does that. So, what boss encounters do you remember from the game, Becky? I don't remember what any of them were called, but I remember fighting some high-level uh, hunts. Some of those were pretty challenging. Yeah, I still can't to... be on. Actually, one thing I've always remembered really clearly is in the early game when you're wandering around the, uh, the that desert plain area and you run into oh, a oh, the Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> that was my first game over because I came back from whatever journey you were going to to the <laughs> west of that, and I thought, oh, I'm, I should, I'm strong now. I can handle this dinosaur. No. <laughs> <laughs> One bite to each of my people, they die. And, and again, it kind, definitely kind of lends itself to uh, an MMO flavor because they're, in MMOs, while there are levels, uh, most of the areas are level specific, it is unusual to have an elite or something that if you're not paying attention, this thing will come up and kick your rear end. And that's what the Tyrannosaurus Rex was. So you're like, yeah, I just killed those rats over there. This guy, you know, he might look big, but he's got to be the same level, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> And later, those damn elementals. Jeez. Oh, God. Oh, those things. I hate them. I hated those. Go away. I wasn't attacking you. Why are you spamming me with high level magic that's destroying me utterly? And you're silencing me so I can't heal. I hate you. Go away. Yeah, it's just. I always hated having to de equip all of my magic gambits just to get to an area just because the weather changed. So annoying. Uh, But, um,. Uh, definitely. What is what's that one game? Um, I know one of you know this because it's a big uh, the MMO where you play three characters. Oh, what is that one called? Uh, it's like a pirate sort of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Oh my goodness gracious! Because I mean, there's a lot of RP gamer staff playing it at one point, and it's oh gosh, now it's gonna bother me. Someone's got to know this. MMO three characters. <laughs> uh. 
<laughs> sword. Like... <laughs> sword. Granado Espada. Right? Isn't Granado it might Espada? Have been one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was two of them like that, actually. It was sword. So, yeah, that was it. Sword of the New World, Granado Espada. There you go. So, I, I, you know, yeah, there was an MO that was kind of like this, that, that just, and, and the look of it actually reminds me of Final Fantasy XII because it has this Victorian, everyone's a real finely dressed European type of look to it. So, it kind of reminds me of Bothier, um, all of the characters do. But it's, um, uh, yeah, aside from that, there's just not a whole lot of games out there where you can play an entire team at once and get the feeling that it's fast and seamless. I mean, you can certainly play something like Baldur's Gate, but the challenge there is that you are literally pressing the pause button every three seconds to issue commands because the artificial intelligence, you have very little control over over it, and uh, it's not the greatest in the world. So to get the most out of your team, you really have to micromanage. And here you can set those gambits uh, and take care of 90% of your battles that way and just watch the fun. You know, it's just, it's good stuff. I don't know. I had a great time with it myself. I mean... Oh, by the way, I, I just forgot about this, but you know what Final Fantasy XII taught me? What's that? Fenrir is actually... A bipedal Siberian tiger wielding a sword. I did not know that before I played this game. I always thought it was a uh, a wolf from Norse mythology. So did I, but apparently we're both wrong. It's a gigantic bipedal Siberian tiger wielding a sword. Well, the game Two Human told me that it was an actual sword, a talking sword, actually. Hmm. Man, these the Norse need to get a better handle on their mythology being used by other people. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sure they care what happens in Japan land. Um, of course they do. Just like Southern Christians in the United States care very much if you get Jesus wrong. Jeez. So let's <laughs> let's move on before we offend the Judeo-Christians that may or may not be on this podcast at the moment. Um, okay, you fight Doctor Sid twice. I, I mentioned him whipping the Gatling gun out of his pants and blowing and blowing you away with it, but. <laughs> Uh, both fights are pretty cool, I'd have to say. Mostly for the guy you're fighting, but he's an interesting fight. Yeah. It and... almost makes the terrible dungeon of Dracula Laboratory worth it. Almost. No, not really. That's a terrible dungeon. Oh, God. And let's see, there's Judge Gabranth, who is, uh, well, he's a guy who hits you hard, and you don't even kill him. At least, not until the end, I'm presuming. Yeah, he that was the final boss. I still don't even really know who he was. Yeah, the final boss is weird. <laughs> who are you, and what did you do with the formerly cool political storyline that this game had? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a theory on this, Becky, and it probably makes sense. It was that the developers of the game were told that they could go see their families after five years working on this thing if they just finished it up. <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> They were like, okay, uh, God did it. Here you go. Have a guy uh, with wings. Yeah, I'm just... The That's final really not uncommon on the... for Final Fantasy, though. Really? Yeah, it's not. No, it's so really not. Pretending to be the whole dragon god thing was kind of weird, though. But you don't normally try to be the ultimate summon dragon. Hmm. Oh, God, the final battle is just a, a horrible slog for me. I just It lasted forever. Characters died a thousand times. It was just on the okay. very Everybody else can talk about this. Time. I haven't I haven't gotten to the final fight yet. I just finished Pharaohs, which is an accomplishment. But You're almost there. I know, yeah, I know. There's not much left, but I finished it literally an hour before we started this, so I knew I didn't have time to rush in there and fight four bosses in a row. 
Yeah, I, I, the final fight was fine for me, but that was probably because I was I had done some uh, high level hunts and some um, what you call it, uh, Eidolon. Well, you were also playing with three super-powered party members. That probably yeah, helped. I, did it with I mean, if you if you developed yeah. all the party members together, it was a much probably a much more difficult fight. Yeah, right? for me, you had six party members to work with. Yeah, yeah six the, party members with six party members, 120 hours in the game clock, being pretty much every hunt up until Ixion, which is basically a post-game of hunts, every Eidolon available to get at the time. It was a horrible, terribly hard fight where I failed under levels. This game is huh. me. Ouch. I don't recall having too much trouble with it. No, I, I fought him at, I, I can't remember what level I was, but I fought him after playing for about 60 hours. I hadn't done a lot of the optional content, but I managed to get through him. I mean, it took me a couple of tries, because he was difficult. He was definitely a hard fight, but uh, I didn't have that much problems with him anyways. It just took a little bit of extra strategy. It, it was definitely not a fight that I could just leave to the gambits. I had to. I was very involved in that fight. Yeah, there, yeah. I don't recall. There's a, I don't think there's a single battle in the game I say you could just leave to the gambits. Basically. Well, except for normal ones. Not even normal ones, occasionally have the hiccups, it's kind of annoying. Uh, maybe I'm just not that good at building gambits, but... What do you mean, hiccups? You know, like when the Marlboro lands, it's terrible clawing breath, and everyone's asleep, and you need to address that issue, or suddenly a couple of... Well, everyone's asleep, there's not much you can do. <laughs> you can swap party members out, that's what you can do. And you can change it up, quickly pull out the multi-target attacks, stuff like that. Yeah! As soon as Marlboro attacks, your party members are going to wake up. I mean that, and that's that. But that, you know, he's got. I mean, I kind of see the same point because uh, I would, I would set up all the gambits. That's um, another thing you can do too. Is a lot of people don't pay much attention to positioning in that game when it actually does play a role. I mean, mm-hmm. your party members will stand where they are and attack, but you can take your main character and move aside. I mean, if you're having problems with marbles, get behind, get one of your characters behind hey, them. And hey, yeah, but this game, I don't need lessons on how to beat a game. I well, and I don't think, I, yeah, and hold on a second, I, I don't think that the actual point had to do with the Marble Rolls. That was maybe not, you know, that was an example. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Aren't they Marlboros? Whatever. Marlboros, okay, cigarette okay brand? let us focus here, okay? I mean, I'm the they one... Exhale, they okay. exhale really you know what? breath. I'm, I'm, cigarette. I'm the one drinking, and I'm more focused than you guys at the moment. Okay, so... The deal, the deal. Yeah, I, I experience the same thing. I don't care how good your gamuts are set up. You you do need to keep an eye on them. You can't just you know put your toe on the controller, have them run around and just beat random crap and not paying attention to what's going on because some some hiccup will happen. I don't care how good your gamuts are set up. You'll run into something that just throws one of your characters for a loop and and breaks your gambit once in a blue moon, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. You gotta keep an eye on it. I mean, it's just nice that I don't have to press 500 buttons while keeping an eye on it. I'm able to watch Netflix at the same time on my iPad while keeping an eye on it. <laughs> it's just, it's just good stuff. But yeah, I gotta keep a little eye on it. Uh, you know, through the minor battles. Not a big eye, but every once in a blue moon, you have to jump in and tweak something. I do think I had one or two instances in the game in which my whole party got incapacitated. I had to pull out, like, level 12 Pinello and hope that I could use item with her and then pull somebody back in. Yeah, you don't... It kind of made it more fun and challenging that way. If you have a full team of six build-up characters, then, yeah, that happens a lot, actually. The final boss has an attack, which will just, you know, if you don't have a super priority, will just guarantee to wipe your entire party out. Doesn't doesn't the final boss have an attack that can wipe down your entire party to one HP? Yeah, I think it's even worse. He's got a one attack which is just guaranteed to wipe everyone out. I think. I don't think it kills everything. I think it knocks everyone down to one HP and then he attacks someone and they die. At that point, both, you kind of hope that your cure gambits work before he hits you. 
Yeah. You know, this kind of hard since it's really, really fast. It's got to be one of the first games, too, with Final Fantasy that I really, outside from maybe Final Fantasy 1 or something, that I was really heavy into using items. Because, I mean, it was easy to set up the gambits to throw those items out there when you needed them. Well, the game was all about <laughs> items. There wasn't You didn't even drop cash in the game. You had to pick up the random crap that they dropped and sell it. Oh, yeah, that yeah. loot system was just so... It's I really important. It. I thought it was brilliant. I thought well, it was a great idea. Is, well, yeah, the loot system is actually quite interesting. The big problem is they just don't explain it to you, like how selling loot works to get items from the bazaar, which is... So you can, you can actually really mess yourself up if you don't do that right. Huh? Honestly, I never had any problem understanding it. I'm about to say... I mean, you, just, you just sell everything you get. It does. Any, any you monster don't item you do sell, that, and actually. you're good. It does you, kind of say something along the lines of selling stuff. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, if you actually look, read the guides and read the more detailed explanations of how it works, suddenly you realize so just selling all your stuff actually is the last thing you want to do. Because doing that actually will kill your ability to acquire some of the bonus items. Which in the game are making it much more difficult to acquire them. Okay, so if you don't want to sell everything, um, you want. no, that's not the case at all. You're you're confusing me, yeah, because I I remember the, the system remembers everything you sell. If you yeah, if you sell but, an item, that item is sold and it stays sold. You don't have to sell everything all at once. Oh, that's the thing. Yes, it stays sold, but once you actually bu- you buy a bizarre item, which is based on that item, it resets the count of all items you required for it to zero. So if you like sell five items and you buy a bizarre item which requires two of them, it resets to zero, so you don't get the three extra over. So if you have another item which requires that same item, you can't access it. Are you sure about that? Because I don't think that happens. That's not the way I understood it working. Yeah, I, I, maybe, uh, maybe I wasn't... Maybe I'm forgetting it. It's been a little while since I read it over and really got involved with it, but there are problems involved with it. And maybe maybe I was confused because I thought once you unlocked an item by selling, like if I sold, you know, five tiger yeah, skins. Yeah, once you unlock it, that's the thing. But once you unlock it, it's fine. The issue is like, for example, uh, now I remember this. The issue that if you sell an item and, um, it, and buy something from it but have not yet unlocked another item which requires the same item, uh, I'm getting my terminology confused up. But there are major pitfalls, especially for the really valuable stuff late in the game. And anyway, lots of other good stuff in the middle of the game. Hmm. I just didn't pay too much attention, which appears to be the, the, I, the best way to play this game sometimes. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I buy everything I can, and since I very rarely run, I have a lot of crap, but I, I can't afford everything. This, I didn't care about the Zodiac Spear and all that other stuff. Well, the Zodiac Spear is really easy to get so long as you do something really stupid. That's the thing. Yeah, and I hard. didn't do it. I realized later, too late that, oh, there's a clutch of 16 chests. I... Should I not open them? I didn't the chest thing was weird. The chest thing was stupid. I, I agree with that on how you got the Zodiac Spear. That was moronic. All right, here's here's but, what he's talking about. I found it out. Okay. So because bizarre goods become available for purchase after you sell certain pieces of loot. It takes one to three ingredients to purchase a bizarre good uh, item, e.g. one molting plus one firestone equals an on whatever the hell it's called. Most bizarre goods recipes are not repeatable. You can't get sex... Uh, six, dang it, I've been drinking too much. Six S, uh, S, S, by turning in batches of firestones and moltlings. The bazaar remembers loot you sold. If you sold a moltling earlier and sell a firestone later, it'll give you the Escolucon or whatever. As soon as you buy a bazaar good, all of that kinds of loot that went into that item are reset to, reset to zero. For example, if you sell three firestones and then buy the Escutechon, it forgets the two left over. You'll have to find six more firestones. Firestones to complete the flame tongue recipe. 
If the loot you've sold satisfies the requirement for two different recipes, both become available. So if you sell six Firestones, two Lumber, and two Mulboro Vines, and a Flame Blade, and also sell a Molting, the Bazaar will give you both the Escalutlan and the Flame Blade. So I, it would appear that if you're a little, if you're quick on the gun, and you, you know you have you you know there's you're selling a couple things that could have you know possibly satisfied the requirements for more than one or partially you know satisfy the equipment for the second one, but you pick up the first item first, then you've reset the requirement for the second one. You need to fully unlock the first and the second one before you start buying them. Otherwise, you ended up losing out on some of the credit you would have gotten. Yeah, well, this Bill. is. Did really you say important. Escuchin one more time. Yeah, Escuchukadu Hickey. Gosh, I can't pronounce your games right. How do they expect me to pronounce this? Escuchians. Escuchians. Escuchians? Yes, I don't know. Whatever the hell. I'm going to call them Phoenix Downs. Yeah. The shields, actually. All right, shields. You know, what, you know what I'll bring up as something that is really confusing to me? The whole quickenings. Quickenings were very confusing. I agree. Yeah, they're fun, but crazy. <laughs> I never and it didn't it. help that, okay. I'm with Becky. Miss Marcello was very nice, and she lent me her copy of the game, which she bought for five bucks with no manual. That does not help me figure out how the hell to use these quickenings. I'm mashing That's okay. the, the manual button. doesn't help anyway. <laughs> it might have. Not helpful. No, it's really not. Okay. <laughs> All I can say is that I, I look at it, I choose quickening, I start mashing R2, figuring, oh, it, it wants me to button mash. No, it doesn't. What the hell am I doing? I don't know. I looked at a fact for this, and I still barely know what I'm doing with it. Yeah, it's like, uh, it took me a long while to get used to quickenings. I think I eventually did, so you can actually get the high-level ones out on rare occasion if I'm lucky and circumstances are just right. It requires more luck and quick reflexes than any real strategy, I think. It's basically a giant quick time event. Yeah, pretty much. And it's it, it. Those were actually the one. That was the one drawback to not using the six character party was that apparently quickenings work best if you have characters in reserve that you can do something weird that I never understood with. But since I didn't like anybody except for the three characters I used, I just ignored them. Yeah, it is helpful to have a full. Six they were powerful. Like if if you got if you learned how to use them at least even half decently, they they did a lot of damage. Yeah, they yeah, were the I, only I way to defeat some really tough parts. Hey, Becky, what I, I thought was weird is that they, they, they draw on your MP god gauge, which was kind of weird. And every time you get an Esper, it increases your MP, it, it doubles your MP gauge. So you have two MP gauges. And then you have three or four. Yeah, oh, I, was, I was barely using quickenings until late in the game, so at first I didn't realize what was happening. But suddenly I realized, what the hell? Every time somebody learns a quickening, their magic point gauge doubles. Like, wow, that is really helpful. Yeah, quickenings are awesome. They can absolutely stomp over early fights, though against harder fights, they're more like a necessity you need to use, use carefully rather than something like auto-win. Yeah, because you've you got you to gotta remember that when you use your quickening, the more you chain it up, the less mana you're going to have when it's done. Yeah, yeah basically and any good quickening is going to reduce everyone's MP to zero. And saving it can be kind of hard when, you know, you usually want to use your mana for healing purposes and buffing purposes and maybe even attack purposes if you've got something that's weak to an element. Well, one of the good things about Final Fantasy XII, too, is that there's a few easy ways to restore your mana, like the charge ability. You mean the... I don't know how there being a XII, too. Is this international version, or...? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, there's a that's, there's that's, an ability called charge. That's the one where Von and Von Bosch and Balthier start a drag show, and 
No. The magic, the magic of brotherly love saves the universe. Why? Yeah. Why don't we talk about summons? <laughs> I was trying to come up with you know the twelve version of ten two. Yeah. So, so Revenant Wings is not Final Fantasy twelve two then. What can I do for Revenant you? Revenant Wings yeah, is a piece is. of crap. Revenant Wings is. That's a separate segment. No spoiling the cast itself unless I do it. That's the rule. So let's talk about summoning. How does that work? Somebody help me out here. Um, uh, well, I, did, I did it once. No, I did it twice. I did it once for an early judge fight when I summoned uh, Starcraft B, the first Esper you get. And it, 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 it basically works the same way that it worked in Final Fantasy X in that the Esper takes over your party, except that they're not nearly as powerful or as useful. Yeah, basically they suck. They're useless. There's a lot of one fight in the game where I think it really helped me out. Just ridiculously fragile for any purpose. It just basically doesn't have a clear role. It's, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, not want... like, it's not like Final Fantasy X where they had the ridiculously powerful overdrive attacks and stuff like that. It's When you when you summon it in, it barely does a damn thing. It, I mean, you'd be better off just leaving your party in the battle and letting them attack because they can do more damage. So it kind of reminds me of, of Tin 2. While I watched, while I enjoyed watching the ladies change their clothes like 18 times to finish doing their, their dress sphere so they could finally summon something, it's like when Yuna or whatever the heck her name was turned into a giant flower beast. Uh, I just kept thinking to myself, oh my gosh, my party before was three times more effective than this. Are you, are you, are you crazy? Those things were broken. Those, those things were those good. Ultimate, those ultimate dress spheres in Final Fantasy X were brokenly powerful. Maybe I had to find the ult- I had to find the ultimate mode because they were just it just wasn't doing so a whole lot of damage. They didn't do as much damage, but they had so much HP and such powerful healing abilities. Once you summoned one, you couldn't die. Eh, boring. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't dying with my normal characters anyway. That's what Death Knights and a cleric are for. I just, I just, I, okay, whatever. So, anyways, so summons here okay. seem seem to be pretty much useless. Then, okay, do they at least have cool cutscenes when you brought them out? Yeah, I'll, they have that. I'll give them that. And they make the f- screen glow like it's on fire, mm, or glow. freeze like it's in the, in the, yeah. in the middle of the Arctic. Or they, they all have different abilities. They all do something different to the screen, which is kind of cool. Mm. <laughs> The, the license grid yet, have we? Do we have? Uh, well, that's that's really? more. Uh, yeah, I think we're ready to move on. This is be. Well, well, in that case, this... let's let's quickly talk about how just big this game is. Well, is that combat related? I, I think so. That's considering really the... that you're going to be going through 
big, big areas. Well, that could yeah, be. Yeah, it's a massive yeah. game. It really is. And it's a half big of them game don't have to. I think it's probably the biggest, biggest of all the Final Fantasy games. I would say. Yeah, it's like yeah. for me, Final Fantasy Twelve is thirty hours of fun gameplay in a hundred twenty-hour package. It's just a swollen. Oh, snack sack. Right. let's let's save those final summaries for the end. We're talking about the battle system. Is there anything else relevant that we haven't already spoke about the battle system? Because we really need to move on. Well, considering that enemies do sometimes randomly spawn right in front of you as you're traipsing through the landscape, uh, I think the size does matter. Okay, well, let's yeah. talk about the interaction. So, uh, you know... Talk- Sounds like the license grid. That would be the license grid. <laughs> now let's talk about license Okay, just going through the license- format here. The license grid is simultaneously... One of the most brilliant things about the game and one of the worst things about the game. Please explain, Mr. Dinalchi. It, it's a great idea. Uh, basically putting all, the, all, all your abilities, all your stuff on one place and basically giving you free run of, over character customization. But the unfortunate problem is that by giving you free cu- run over all your customization, you essentially turn all the characters into exactly the same character. It's the same, it's the same problem that Final Fantasy VII had with the Materia system in that all the characters are essentially blank slates, and it really doesn't matter which one you choose, because they're all going to end up being the same, based on... Mm-hmm. Yeah, my big problem with license groups is basically most of the time you're just spending a huge amount of resources just to stay what you are. Because you're always having to unlock equipment and such before you use them, it means, like, rather than just being able to buy the ability to use swords, you have to buy the ability to use swords independent, each sword, so... You're, you have to spend, put a huge amount of your license points just to stay as a sword user. Now, you're, I never really had a problem with that because let's face it, you don't. The thing about the equipment part, at least, is you don't have to buy everything. I mean, if if you want your character to be using swords, you just buy all the sword stuff. If you want your well, character to be using bows, you just buy all the bow stuff. I mean, there's really not that many weapons in the game for each type. So you don't have to buy all that many equipment. It's still a pretty big expense early on, and there's not really much other than equipment. There's the techniques, which are kind of a mess. Magic, which, well, it's so, the one interesting choice, maybe. And there's all the stats stuff, which in the long run, you're going to give all, everyone all of that anyway. Well, and, of course, there's not much real that's, room. That's, pro- that's, the, that's the big problem with it. Is like it, it's, it's a great idea to give you all these customization problem, uh, options. But they give you too many. They make it so that you, all your characters are going to end up the same because you're going to want to get to all the same stuff. I mean, they all need gambit improvements. They're all going to need to make their way to the Esper slot so that they can have more magic points. I mean, there's really not a lot you can do in that. I don't know. Let, let me ask because, I mean, and I fully admit that I didn't get to the, the end game, but in going through maybe, let's say, half the game, um, I did find myself thinking – Okay, I've got six characters. I got two parties of three, so I'm going to have like two tanks, two casters, and two support characters. So I was uh, on the uh, you know the equipment side. I have them each focusing on specific uh, equipments, but on the other side, if one was going to be more of a magic user, then I would focus on picking up those magic spells. But the, the support casters, I'm going for more of the white magic. The attack casters, I'm going for more of the black message. In a way, I was specializing, but I was choosing. Well, yeah, well, it, it works great in the early game when you have limited points, but yeah, when you does. get into the late game and you have so many points available to you, it everything it homogenizes all the characters. They become well, the, thing, the thing for me though was. By the end game, I had um, 
you know, set up so many different gambits that my characters were still pretty much specialized. And again, it was probably partly because I only had three characters, but I still had like Ash was still the tank and she had swords and then she was sort of my backup healer. Fran was my main healer with bows and also had all the green magic and all the buffs. And Balthier was my bomb guy and my black mage and my debuffer. So I sort of still had them specialized by the end, even if they did spend some extra points here and there that I could use for special occasions. Most of the time, just with the way the gambits were set up, they were still specialized but, anyway. So but Becky, I didn't have a problem. But Becky, we're, we're talking specifically about the license board. When you got to the end of the game, yeah. was it was pretty much their license board is pretty much all unlocked so that while you may have functionally used them in different roles, statistic and ability-wise, they were pretty much homogenized or... Did you find that that you only had so many points to go around, so you ended up picking skills that only worked with with their roles in the party? I think what I did was once I had everybody kind of the way I wanted them to, I just didn't spend any more points. <laughs> They're running around with eight million points in their bank account. And, well, no, you know. because at that point, like if I ran into a really hard boss and I decided, okay, I want this other character to be able to back up this character's role, then I could just spend points for that battle and and make some more gambits. So for me, the license board wasn't a big deal, and it didn't end up homogenizing my party too much, just because, again, I guess it's just because I didn't pay too much attention to this game. <laughs> I was just yeah. having fun adventuring and playing with gambits and doing whatever, so I didn't think too hard about it all. I mean, how long how long would it take before you unlocked, you know, at least half of those squares? Because I think I didn't even I've have done that enough. by now. Of course, I have been using the accessories that double the license points you get, since almost everything gives you one license point when you kill it. Uh-huh. But even so, particularly in what they can equip, my people are not homogenized at all. I've had one... Per- uh, let's see, who is it? Yeah, Bosch is using axes right now. Ash is using swords, although I have her with some spear capability. Well, equipment is the one area where you don't really need to. Would they don't become homogenized yeah. because you can choose what kind of equipment you want each character to wear, and that way you still have a bit of customization. But with the abilities, though, I mean, oh, yeah. all those abilities you might as well just buy them. I mean, if you have the LP for them and you don't have anything else to buy, just buy it. Why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. Why would you turn down the extra hit points, the agility boosts, the decrease in magic point costs? Why would oh, you turn yeah. those down? Those no, I, awesome. I, I paid for all of those, but I don't really care if they were all the same for everyone. Yeah, the problem with this game basically is that if basically it's based off of all the character uniqueness is based off of scarcity, which is actually kind of the same thing that, say, Final Fantasy V does, but unlike Final Fantasy V, it doesn't have you give you a wide enough range of abilities, and it doesn't it gives you far more points than than you need to actually buy it all up. So well, the funny thing is, uh, in Japan, Final Fantasy XII International tried to address that issue by replacing the license board uh, license board with uh, uh, job boards, so that you could basically select a job class, and the license board would be different for each job class. And yeah, I think doesn't... if they'd released that as the main game, it probably would have improved it quite a bit. Now, that's, that's, I, that's, I love the game to death, even as it is, but I think that job board would have been a good thing. I don't know about that job board. I've looked at those job boards, they feel just almost artificially limiting, maybe? Just they're a bit oversimplified, and I don't know. That's the point. I mean, the the limitations are there to make the game more challenging, make it more, make the characters more diverse, make players have to make strategic decisions. I mean, if you can do everything, then you're basically limiting the decisions the player can make. I know, but they don't really give you, they give you lots of limitations, they don't really op- create any new interesting options that weren't in the original license board, I guess, is my problem. And it's not a true job system because you're locked into those jobs from the entire game from right here. You just pick them at the beginning and they 
can never change them again. So, and that's really interesting for me. So, what was y'all's thoughts on uh, how it handled the cities? Were the cities fun to be in? Did you did you find a lot of life in the cities themselves? Uh, you know, was it was it more engaging the surroundings and the such than other Final Fantasy games? I absolutely love this just, design. I, I, I would say it's just, the most alive world in all of the Final Fantasy games I've played. It, it I, definitely I felt one more fascinating alive. The cities. That uh, remember that quest in uh, the Arcadian Capital when Vaughn has to get those nine pieces of wood or whatever they are, the logs? And when I was talking to everybody on that mission, I saw that their descriptions would go from just random Arcadian citizen or Arcadian gentry to something far more specific and interesting after I'd spoken to them once. And I don't, I can't say how accurate that is all over the rest of the game because I haven't talked to every NPC, but it seems to show a, a fair amount of attention to detail that I do like quite a bit. Yeah, uh, there's a fair amount of attention to detail, but for me, it's just. But the main seats are often too big and too empty. It's just a pain getting through them, even with the warp system they set up. It's, I don't know, it's just a lot of flashy color, but not much really there. There's not much going on. And there's not many towns. I don't know, I didn't really like the cities of this game. I didn't really like the world of this game. It just felt distant and lifeless. You never really go to anywhere of importance. You never visit anywhere of interest. You can't walk into the Arcades main central administration buildings or anything. You can't do anything like that. You can't walk into the main palace of Damascus. You can't go anywhere interesting. Oh, let me ask but, you this. Can you, can you go to Washington, D.C. and just walk into the White House? I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a real world. No, it's not. It, that, that's what's great about it. I mean, if you go out into the, into the wilderness, there's animals running around. There is, there's monsters there's, around, not animals. Yeah, monsters, animals, same difference. It's the same thing in this game. But... It, there's, there's people wandering around the town. I mean, you can't talk to everyone, but why would you want to? I mean, what's the, what's the? I've never understood the point of random characters in RPGs where you just you talk to them. They say some random line that doesn't really do anything. It, it's it's irrelevant. I mean, who who in their right mind would go wandering around a town talking to every single person they see? Uh, I will say, yeah, I will say in walking around in towns, and I'm not uh, I'm not a big huge fan of walking around towns and having to talk to everybody in order to proceed the quest. That drives me crazy because you talk to, you know, 19 people who say things like, our town is called Southport, and, and the one person who tells you what you need to move on with the quest, I, I just want to take a knife and drive it through my heart a few dozen times. In this world, I felt like the, the comments were a little bit uh, more organic when you did talk to some of those people. So, yeah, some of those people, they didn't talk to you at all. And the ones that you could talk to clearly were labeled little smiley faces, so you knew who you could get comments out of and who you couldn't. And, and, and yeah, this town had a lot more people than what I would see typically in towns in an RPG. So I agree that I'm glad I couldn't talk to all of them because I would have been stabbing my heart, especially if I'm trying to figure out what to do next in a quest and I had to talk to 55 people because there, there were so many people in the markets and the such. Uh, I felt the comments were a, a little bit more organic, but it wasn't earth-shattering or anything like that. When you walked outside the towns, uh, yeah, 
that. Seeing those monsters roaming around definitely gave you more of, uh, made it feel like a more of a live world than, than most RPGs where you're walking around, you don't see anything at all. Or, you know, in the best case, something like a Chrono Trigger where you kind of see the monsters wandering around. There's a little animation to them, but when you run into them, the screen breaks away. And that does pull you out of the immersion. The fact that they're walking around and you're confronting them right there without the breakaway really does help to draw me into the world. It's not on the level, it's not on the level of death as say, you know, uh, you know, Ultima, you know, online or Skyrim where there's this ecology of monsters. Uh, it's not that deep, but the fact that they're out there and the screen doesn't break away, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, in my opinion, a little bit more engaging, uh, than any other where I'm play- like walking around Final Fantasy 10 and you're walking from one end of the jungle to another and you don't see anything. Suddenly the screen breaks away. You're in a fight. Uh, that's what we're used to, but that's not exactly what I would call immersive. Don't believe Ondor's lies, Phil. Onto who? Ondor's <laughs> lies. Don't believe them. What's an Ondor? That's the thing I most remember about the cities in Final Fantasy XII. was the terrible, terrible minigame where Vaughn had to pretend to be Bosch. Ah! Uh, that was hilarious. I love that game. I love that game. Bosch von Rosenberg. I love that scene just because it's so ridiculous. It's fun. I know. Oh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Adrian. Adrian, if I run around and proclaim to people, I'm Osama Bin Laden, do you think anyone would believe me? Uh, that was a little... Vaughn next to Bosch. Do they look at all like each other? No, they don't. No, there's... Yeah, but he's no one knew what Bosch looked like to begin with. I mean, he's been locked up in jail for however many years. True. But I think anyone who looked at Vaughn would go... You know, I think Bosch is slightly older than 15. They say that, actually, though. Uh, There are, but there are, you know, while this game, uh, especially for its time, looked more modern and brought some very new concepts. Oh, and we're talking about Vaughn saying silly things. Hey, Buckethead! You know... uh, Do you remember that? No. It brought a lot of new and fresh things to the table and such. It still has some common RPG and JRPG tropes, such as the fact that some of the things that happened were just a little silly. And, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that's just something we that happens. And, and the more serious, you know, JRPGs become as you went from Final Fantasy IX to X to... Well, 10 2 wasn't very serious. Uh, to 12, to, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, they're more modern y. The characters are more serious. At least it comes across more serious. These little things, uh, I think, remind us of the roots of where these silly things happen all the time. Remember Final Fantasy VI? That was a dead. I mean, Final Fantasy VI for its time was a very serious story. I mean, the whole world blows up for crying out loud. And yet there were very lighthearted, uh, you know, joking moments that would never make sense in the real world in there. And that was just something you you came to expect out of JRPGs. So the fact that they're still in there from time to time, like the I am Dungeon Run Brosh or whatever, the people were actually like, yay! <laughs> you know, woo! I thought that was kind of silly too, Mike, but I was just, I just had a smile at that because I'm like, just a reminder that I am playing a JRPG. <laughs> I'm sure we're all happy that we get to play Vaughn running around impersonating Bosch, trying to enhance his notoriety because clearly Vaughn is the right choice to enhance anyone's notoriety uh, oh yeah well it was only a few minutes out of the game so I mean, actually it took longer than that for me because I didn't figure out until two, until a little later than I should have that if you say it around the wrong people they knock your notoriety down a lot 
Yeah, it took me forever to do that game. You see? There's some realism in there. Not everybody believed you. Those people didn't, whoever they were. Uh, yeah, they were the people reporting directly to the Marquis. That'll teach you a lesson. They... Yeah, the guards will chase it out. The resistance guys who are all hiding is the tour guides will all believe you like crazy. So That's how it works. Hmm. Yeah, you're supposed to say it around a certain type of person. I don't remember the title of right now, but if you say it around them, the notoriety goes up a good 20, 30 points in one go. See, I, I was paying attention when I played this minigame. What a great minigame. It made me pay attention because the, the game would not proceed until I did. Well, but that's, you know, but I, not that I necessarily excuse it, but that's a very common thing in JRPGs. And and at least this one gave me a clear-cut goal with letting me know that, yeah, two people believed you or five people believed you. Whereas with most normal JRPG goals, I don't know who in the hell I'm supposed to talk to next. I just know <laughs> that I can't proceed through the forest of darkness because there's a guard there who says, you can't leave yet. Uh, uh, the town is not safe to leave. And I, you know, it's not until I find the right NPC to talk to after I talk to every single person with no clear indication of whether or not, uh, you know, I succeed or not so i'm okay with that mini game it doesn't make it doesn't doesn't necessarily make it the most fun thing in the world or anything like that but i, I don't consider anything worse it wasn't the greatest mini game in the world but the scene the, uh, the scene is just memorable because it's so silly if i i actually uh have to give final fantasy 12 credit in that there were there was not a large number of obnoxious mandatory mini games in this one especially after final fantasy 10 which i did not appreciate the large number of oh, mandatory mini weren't games even nearly as bad as 10 twos uh, oh that uh, 10 2 was a mandatory mini game <laughs> uh, i'm i am willfully refusing to remember 10 2 right now just be- Ah, the massage minigame. No. No. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Exactly what I wanted to remember. Um, but yeah, I don't no, remember. We haven't really, we haven't really touched on how nice this game looks, have we? It looks nice. I I think it looked absolutely fabulous, and I got a really great story with this. When, uh, you know, um, uh, when I was uh, playing, when I first put this in, I mean, the the hair like on Rabbit Girl especially is awesome. Um, I mean, I think her hair looked better than any other character's hair, and I don't know why, but it's one of the... The haircuts in this game are probably the only ones in Final <laughs> Fantasy that are actually semi-realistic. Well, that's probably... Compared to 10, that's not saying much. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I love the I love the way the characters looked. Uh, I mean, I mean, as far as the actual graphical detail, the design choice was somewhat questionable. I got tired. The only thing that really bothered me, especially, was Vaughn's stomach because uh, they tried to make his stomach muscles, I guess, with the with the tan lines or something like that. It was like basically um, a texture. Rather than any actual real detail, he looked it, like he'd been using spray on. Yes, exactly, <laughs> Becky. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like a spray on or a T-shirt or something. You know, the T-shirt with abs on it. Um, but for the most part, I love looking around the cities, the distance, the way they made it look wavy like a desert, the detail in the buildings. I just kind of looked around. It was definitely a contrast compared to Final Fantasy X's uh, more uh, futuristic look in the cities, and I really enjoy the attention to the detail. Anyways. Halfway through the game that I was playing, my uh, CRT television uh, blew up, 
Uh, it happened every other year wait, in Florida. Wait. Is this a literal explosion or it just ceased to work? Ceased There's a difference. Yeah, the little tube inside of it literally exploded, which caused it to cease to work. So, the little tiny well, at tube. At least that means your entire living room did not become covered in television parts, right? Yeah, not really. So I went to I went across the street to get a new one for that entertainment center, and they weren't selling CRTs anymore. They only sold the flat screen plasma dealies. So I ended up having to buy one of those. I plugged in Final Fantasy XII, and it went from being the best lovely game I had ever seen to the most atrocious thing. I actually thought it was originally a problem with the television. I was actually looking no, online. No, it does not upscale well. It does. That, that is one problem it has. The jaggies, uh, you know, were just so incredibly bad. The textures looked atrocious. And I looked online, and this game is the reason why I went out and bought a PS3. Up to that time, the PS3 had just come out not that not that long previously, and it was like $600, and I wasn't going to pay that much for a console. Uh, by the time I got that plasma television, uh, and I had heard these were when they were still backwards compatible, uh, that the, these fat <laughs> PS3s uh, could could upscale. Uh, they could uh, they could provide some aliasing, and a lot of people said that really helped them out. So, and I found uh, Sony had a deal where they were selling them because they were phasing them out the backwards compatible deals. They were selling them for a hundred dollars off, plus giving a hundred fifty dollar gift certificate. So I went out, plunked down three hundred fifty dollars, had to wait for it to come in the mail. Sign. Oh, you have to sign for a credit card too. So I signed up for it, bought it, then canceled the credit card. Got the got the console, plugged it in, put turned on the upscaling or anti-aliasing, and ah, uh, it was it was. It, it wasn't still as, yes but immensely not, not as good as the CR2 the CRT but no longer were my eyes were bleeding it was so bad Adrian seriously I was so ticked off no you know what I know uh, I bought my first HT uh, HD TV around the same time that that game came out uh huh and I tried playing it like a, a couple about a year after it came out I think or something like that and put it on my HD TV and I was amazed at how bad it suddenly looked. Yeah, it was just. And I ended up buying a PlayStation Three with the backwards compatibility for the same reason. Oh my goodness, see, we're brothers. You're making me glad, Adrian, that I'm so cheap. I'm using a TV from 2000, which is only 13 inches. I, I tell you, man, I, I, I wish that I had a CRT television. I almost, I almost went to eBay when I found out, and <laughs> yeah, just to see if I could find an old one because it really was driving me crazy. And and I plugged in some other PS2 games and play Ratchet and I was playing Ratchet and Clank at the time and such like that. And while they had uh, you know, while the, the graphical issues were apparent, it wasn't as noticeable as it was in Final Fantasy 12 because the the polygons have so much textures or whatever the heck they're called, you know, inside of them that that combined with the fact that everything just looks jaggy uh, on a, on a high definition television just yeah, it, depends, my eyes it really bleed. does depend on the game. Uh, I've seen mm-hmm. some. Some games like Final Fantasy XII really don't upscale well, but there's others that upscale brilliantly. Like Radiata Stories has fantastic upscaling. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the one I really remember the best because it still looks amazing. Yeah. So well, I still well, like Adrian, the way it looks. I'm pretty sure that nobody has ever called out Triace for saying that the games look bad, right? No, we have. We we called them Open okay. Stars before. <laughs> Adrian would. Well, that was a. Adrian. That was a special case in which the figures were animated in a certain fashion that was <laughs> creepy <laughs> and not attractive at all, right? Uh, well, the thing about Star Ocean is actually talking about the first HD games. That was the first game I actually watched and saw in HD. And it's the thing that you told me, oh, hey, games can look awesome in HD. Hey, so, uh, does, does Star Ocean have any cat girls or rabbit women in it? Yep. Yes, actually. It looks great in HD. It absolutely looks fabulous because it has cat girls. Yes. 
So, um, you know, reminding me that Michael Tidwell was going to be on here, but apparently his wife came home late, so he can't be on for a while. So let's uh, let's talk about the music. Does anybody have any comments about the musical score? It's sounds like Foxy Tactics. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it's a it's there's a, a few remixed tracks from Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced, and there's several new tracks as well. But it's a fantastic score. Uh, yeah, and I remember hearing some of these tracks remixed again in Tactics Advanced Two or Tactics A Two. I'm sorry, the the word Advanced was not in the title, but they sound better here. I they really do. don't well, like it's, music it's orchestrated here, here. That's what's great. I yeah. just really don't like the music in this game. It just sure it sounds like Fossil Tactics, but that makes it feel it sounds strange. It sounds like that music belongs to Fossil Tactics, not here. I yeah, it's the same world though. I mean, no, how can it feel I strange? I don't when it's the like same that universe. thing about the game though. I don't like that it's a, some kind of twisted Fossil Tactics prequel. Fossil Tactics is way better. Its world is better. Vagrant Story's world is better. This game's world is terrible. I don't like that connection. Wait, wait. Final Fantasy Tactics had a st- Oh, yeah, it did. I just didn't understand what the hell it was trying to communicate to me. Nathan, I have to say that if Yasumi Matsuno had been in charge of this thing for the whole way through, you would probably feel very differently. I probably would. But instead, we get the game with the worst cutscene gameplay divide I've ever seen. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're hitting the uh, two-hour mark. We've still got three other games at least to talk about, plus a wrap-up. So uh, I want to go ahead and, and wrap this up, but I understand it is a Final Fantasy game, so instead of the normal 30 seconds I normally give to each person to really wrap up their thoughts, uh, I want to give you all a little more time, give you about two minutes each to really you know, put out there on the table. You can do less if you want, but to really put out there on the table uh, you know, what you think about this game. And we'll start with Becky. Well, I wasn't here at the beginning, so I will mention that Final Fantasy XII is actually one of my favorite Final Fantasy games, despite the fact that I didn't like half the cast. Um, Part of it was that the game was flexible enough that I made it into the game I wanted it to be, and I liked most of the story up until it got really stupid at the end. Um, So I had a good time, because I like politics and all that stuff. So I had a a really good time. That's all Matsuno, I think. Yeah. Okay. I like Mr. Matsuno, then. Thank you, Matsuno. Um, Anyway, and and I liked running around and playing with gambits and exploring everything and, and the really big world. So I had a great time with it. And yeah, it, it along with Final Fantasy IX, those are my two favorite Final Fantasy games. That's pretty much what I have to say. And Balthier is dreamy. Fair enough, uh, Mr. Uh, Adrian. Oh, funnily enough, I have uh, pretty much the same opinion as Becky in that uh, Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy XII are also my favorite Final Fantasy games. Um, Twelve just hit me in a way that Final Fantasy hasn't really done. Like I, I've, I've enjoyed all the Final Fantasy games I've played to some degree, but Final Fantasy XII is the only one where the gameplay was so good that I actually wanted to play it over and over again. I just I wanted to keep doing everything. Uh, it, the battle system is one of my favorites of all time. Um, I don't remember the plot all that well after five years, but I do remember that it, I enjoyed it when uh, I first played it, and I didn't have any major problems with it. The cast, I, I, I love the, the main characters of Bosch and Balthier and Ash. They, uh, all, they all had their, their moments, and I, I thought it had a lot of interesting ways of telling the story, even if it did bog down towards the end. Um, there were some things that could have been done better, but honestly, as far as gameplay goes and, and world design goes, I think it's among the best of the, uh, the series, if not the best. Alrighty, fair enough. Uh, Mr. Nathan? 
Okay, for me, it's pretty much the opposite. This is my flat-out least favorite Final Fantasy game. Final Fantasy 2 is better. Final Fantasy 13 is better. I hate this one. Absolutely. It's 180 hours of my life I want back. <laughs> wow! Uh, since you've still got a minute 45 on the clock, Nathan, uh, why don't you elaborate on that a tiny bit? Why do you feel okay, that way? Well, the story is a mess. It goes nowhere. It basically has no character development. It's got very few interesting twists. It does a lot of telling but not showing. It, it, does, it basically races through exposition, tries to get the story out of the way in time for extremely long segments of gameplay, which are very boring, very flat, no story going on at all. The, the, path, the trip through north, through the Fawn Coast, to the Cheetah Uplands and such, is the worst section of any video game I've ever played. I'm a person who loves finding loot and, ga- loot and tr- cool stuff in games. This game is terrible at that. The balance of rewards for re- versus difficulty is terrible. There's almost no good treasure. The, most of the treasure chests are randomized and sucky. And just basically there's nothing for me in this game, and it takes forever. It's a bad game. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, and how about you, Mr. Minky? Alrighty then. I will say that the plot could have been better. If Matsuno had been in charge of this game for the entirety, I think we would have seen something on the level of Final Fantasy Tactics, except with a translation that we can not only understand but appreciate as being well-written. That could have made all the difference. As it is with the plot, you can see lots of things that don't pay off as well as they should. Things that are established look interesting, and then just kind of fizzle. As for the gameplay, I admire the Gambit system. I like it most of the time. I really admire the sheer scope of the game, the size of the environments that you explore. I, The fact that I have put in, what is it, 51 hours or something right now, and I'm at the end, which obviously tells you that I have not been focusing on equal leveling for everybody, means that I found something I really liked here, and what is it? Pushes the limits of the hardware. I know, you hear that all the time, but for the PS2 coming out near the end of the system's lifespan as it did, this thing really does push what the PS2 could do, and I'm enjoying pretty much all of it. I don't necessarily enjoy the hunts having to go find some guy somewhere to talk to about whatever his thing is that he wants me to kill, and then waiting for the exact environmental conditions in which to do it. But I've more or less ignored that, and the game as a whole is very strong for me, although I I definitely understand where Nathan is coming from, but I am simply having a much better time with it than he was. I'm happy, sorry to say. (laughs) And, I mean... uh... You know, for me, um, a lot of people know that I tend to um, uh, boohoo JRPGs, um, and that's just um, uh, that's just because I played so many of them. I'm so old that I'm just gotten bored of them. But Final Fantasy XII was a huge step in the right direction. It showed me that JRPGs uh, can evolve in bold new directions. I agree that the plot and the story is it's very crazy at times and i couldn't follow it but then again i couldn't follow final fantasy tactics and the whole sin thing in final fantasy 10 even threw me for a loop um but with that being said um i really enjoyed the underlying mechanics behind the combat system i've said this once i'll say it again uh the the combat systems and the interaction systems is what really drives an rpg for me the stories are great i'd love to have a good story but you know what i can read a good story in a book 
I play a game to uh, get a good story uh, with this really great uh, game mechanics, and and I just it really showed me that our uh, JRPGs uh, have a lot of growth potential. So. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, my time with it, and I have no problem recommending it. And that's aside from the fact that, as I mentioned before, I really found that the world was, like a couple of you said, the world's big. It draws you in more so than I think a lot of other games up to that day by breaking some of those JRPG conventions, putting the monsters on the field, and having the battles out there as opposed to a breakaway screen uh, was really, really interesting for me. So it, it was a very very refreshing take on merging an MO with a single player game and coming up with something that I found original and fun for the most part. But if you're one of those players who are mostly get your into your RPGs for the stories, this one will be a hard pill to swallow. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, statistics. Final Fantasy 12 for the Sony PlayStation 2 can be bought at your good friends at eBay for a total of about $10 um with shipping included or you can get it brand new for around uh, twenty dollars so that's a that's a pretty good deal can't complain too much about that uh reception for the game when it came up back in the day was was pretty good it got a, a lot of uh scores that were at 90 percent or, or 9.0 or higher for the most part i remember uh electronic gaming monthly gave it uh game of the month in whatever month that was and was pleased that the PS2 was able to produce such an interesting result so late in its lifespan. It sold more than uh, 1.7 million copies in the first week in Japan, and uh, as of March 2007, uh, it had sold 5.2 million copies worldwide and is considered the fourth best-selling PlayStation 2 game of 2006 worldwide. So... um, or uh, the first, second, and third best-selling game. I can't too. tell you that off the top of my head. I just read what's in front of me. So, <laughs> so the article doesn't have a link? That's horrible. Oh, maybe it does. I'm too lazy to look. But I tell you what, while everybody else is quickly jumping on to Google to look that up, because I know everybody wants to know what number one, two, and three are, we're going to take a break, let you listen to some more music from the Final Fantasy series before we come back to talk about... Final Fantasy 12 Revenant Wings. Hold on to your seats. It's going to be a bumpy ride.
ready to talk about Final Fantasy XII Revenant Wings. This was developed by Think and Feel. Wow, that's that's awesome. I, I don't know what to think and feel about that. I just, I don't know. Published by Square Enix. <laughs> Who must have haphazardly gave him the license or something. Anyways, this was released in Japan on April 26, 2007. Later on North America on November the 20th in 2007. This is a single-player tactical RPG experience for your Nintendo DS handheld gaming system. This is rated E10. I think the last one, I think Final Fantasy XII was rated T for Teen. This was rated E10. I can tell you why. Because looking at the artwork for the characters, it all looks like they, they became younger. Even though this game is set a year in the future, from what I understand. It's like... I mean, even the princess lady, she looks like a cute little girl. You just want to reach out and hug her real tight. I mean, they're, they're just all really young. I'm looking for pictures of the rabbit girl younger, though, because I think that'd be awesome. But, uh, yeah, Von uh, Van, Van or whatever his name is, he, he just he looks like he's like nine and a half years old there. He shouldn't even be holding that sword. It should be illegal to carry, you know, arms when you're only nine years old. I, I think he might accidentally lop off his head. He's got such a skinny neck. All right. So, how you feeling tonight, um, Miss Becky? Well, I'm feeling like I can vaguely remember playing this game when I rented it from a rental service. <laughs> so, uh, the story, we'll start off with that like we normally do, not from what I understand. Uh, do you remember much about the story, Becky? There was a guy with wings, and his people were in trouble, and there was a bunch of crap with, like, anima and summons and... He, some weird judge and stuff. <laughs> was, it was not a. It was typical sort of makes about as much sense as the end of Final Fantasy XII did. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah, it definitely isn't the uh, the main focus of Revenant Wings. Um, it just, uh, uh, it just, yeah, it's it's a very light story to get like a. Uh, Vaughn and Pinello begin a new adventure of Sky Pirates. I mean, you, you basically get an airship right after the uh, the beginning. And it kind of feels like a, a light-hearted exploration. It kind of deepens when you meet, the, as you mentioned, this uh, this race. Uh, they're, they got wings. They're angels or something like that. I, I just remember those angels, but they're not really called angels. Uh, and you're supposed to help them uncover the mystery of their, their homeland. But, yeah, the story was really kind of shallow. It really didn't take off like it should. Um, it just kind of came across as um, a mediocre. Not not that it's really bad or anything, but that just kind of come across a, a, a little uh, shallow. Uh, the, you know, Von and Pinello get some more development, which probably helps a little bit since they didn't get much in the last game. You know, the dialogue's well written, but, you know, it just, it uh, you know, especially without any voice acting, it doesn't quite feel as good as 12 so but that's okay because like i said before it really isn't the focus of this game is it becky no <laughs> so uh the gameplay tends to take center stage here what can you tell us about that um it's a real-time strategy game on the ds that i recall was somewhat difficult to control at times um i remember hurting a lot of little tiny units all over the screen a lot mm -hmm. and sometimes you had multiple places you had to send them, none of which you could see very well because, you know, the DS screen is kind of small. Sometimes it got a little bit frustrating, but it was generally most of the game was not terribly difficult, so it ended up feeling kind of repetitive after a while, which is why I never finished it. Just sent it back to the rental company. Then, you know, 
you guys all heard in the Final Fantasy XII section how much I enjoyed Vaughn and Pinello. <laughs> in that, I never used them unless I was forced to. So, you know, there's a reason why I rented the game instead of buying it in the first place. I was kind of hoping, hoping that maybe, maybe you know, Balthier and Fran would, like, take over the plot at some point. But no, they're just secondary. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't get too uh, deep in the game uh, either, Becky, but that's pretty much it. You you got some leaders, and you, you pick out some espers, and, uh, you know, group, you pick out, I think you usually pick out one of the leaders and up to five of the espers, and you got these slots to put them in. Um, you got a lot to pick from, though. It kind of almost feels like Pokemon in a way, and um, you unlock them in the game. Uh, except I don't remember exactly how. Uh, I think something has to do with like a ring of packs. It's like a license board from Final Fantasy XII. Anyways, Did you just compare this game to Pokemon? You know, I like to catch them all myself, but that's, that's just <laughs> me. I just, you know. Uh, but, you know, you have Espers like the Sylph and Bomb, Toonberry, Llama. So you got some some of your, you know, favorite creatures from Final Fantasy and some uh, feature some of the Ivalice-based summons like Fromfreet Fram and classic ones like Shiva and stuff. Um, so you'll call these up, uh, you know, with the summoning gates or whatever the heck they were. And uh, you have to go through and meet certain goals um, uh, you know, such as capture this spot or go kill that leader, go kill that army and stuff. I, I think like Becky indicated, though, it, it becomes a little bit repetitive. And what doesn't help here is that the uh, difficulty is kind of all over the board. Uh, from what I understand, if you stick in it over the long run, it starts off like so easy that it makes you want to put to sleep and you kind of feel like you're doing the same things over and over again. But sticking it for a while and you get towards the end, all of a sudden it just suddenly becomes uh, a very difficult affair. So and I think that's because of some of the technical limitations, among other things. Ew, yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, because it's, it's hard to do a complex RTS when you can't easily see the whole battlefield. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, part of, you know, that's part of the problem. I mean, interactivity is a very important part of any sort of RTS type of thing. And I, there are, there's been a few of them that I played on there, um, Robopocalypse and the such. And um, they were okay. They were um, novel. <laughs> but the little pen, you think that would help you out. And I guess it does more than just using a controller. But it's still not you know, optimal when trying to play something that's like uh, an RTS type of deal. Um, so, yeah, it's a small screen. You're trying to press it. You're trying to select groups uh, you know, by pressing a combination of buttons and using your, your stylus and such. And it just kind of comes up uh, shorts. It's just it, – the, what the gameplay wants the player to do is just not something that the DS is very capable of, of actually handling uh, with its current controls and little pin and stuff or stylus and whatnot. So – uh yeah good times but but it is a pretty title i mean if you just take a look at for some of the screenshots and stuff especially the the the, the cut scenes aside from the fact that it looks like all your favorite characters from final fantasy 12 have been somehow chibi-ized uh, i i don't know i mean even bosch looks like he's like this cute teenager punky dude from uh you know from from Fearless bueller's day off or something i don't know he just looks well, cute. The, the guy who did the character design for this one was the one who did the character design for Final Fantasy Tactics A2, so that gives you an idea. Like, everybody's cute and young and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's weird because this is a year after 
and and somebody correct me on the forums if I'm wrong. I mean, I I don't really wasn't paying attention to the story, so I kind of got that bit of information off a review. But uh, from what I understand, it's a year afterwards. So knowing that now, it kind of shocks me even more because I thought it was like set in the past, the way everything just looks younger. Um, but I guess I should have actually paid attention when they were talking to each other. So Phil, based upon as I'm sure you remember my exhorating review of Heroes of Mana, would you say this is better or worse? Well, <clears throat> I'm thinking worse. You know, because Secret of Mana was really? just such an awesome game, nothing can come close. Oh, clearly! Because, <laughs> you know, I just throw ones out of nowhere, and absolutely nothing this game could have ever warranted a one out of five for me. Which, as we all know, is what I gave Heroes of Mana, and it completely deserved it. Which means that if Revenant Wings is worse than Heroes of Mana, then I will not touch it under any circumstances other than people offering me physical cash for the task. Is it able to do so? It's, it's an average-ish game, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's better than Heroes of Mana. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an average, it's an average-ish, uh, uh, game. Um, I mean, for a portable title, you know, it is somewhat impressive. And I mean, uh, you know, you're really trying to fit an RTS and it definitely, you know, into the palm of your hand and it definitely comes up, uh, short, but there's a lot of debt to be found. The, the, you know, it's got the, you know, it's definitely got the square touches in places like the cutscenes and stuff that you'll, you'll enjoy. Um, if you like the uh, music from Final Fantasy XII, well, you'll be happy here because most of it's uh, recycled. Uh, <laughs> but uh, effort. Why do we need to expend it on a portable title? Nobody needs to do that. No, no. Um, Hey, the Japanese expend way more effort on portable titles than North American devs, so, you know. You know, because, you know, it's definitely got control issues. They actually made a new game. They just didn't take an existing game and shrink it. And this is true, Becky, but this was five years ago. The standards may have been different. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's definitely some underdeveloped areas here, like the uh, we didn't really touch on the gamut system, and that's because there's nothing really there. I mean, it's there, but it's... Yeah, it's nothing like the Gambit system in 12. Not nearly even close to... You can't even compare the two. I was going to say it's not as developed, but it's not even <laughs> not even close enough to be called that. Um, some missions are really you know easy, especially the beginning game starts putting you to sleep, whereas later ones will just you know bend you over and spank you unless you grind up your character somehow or, or use some some really nasty strategies. Um, so with those uh, with those shortcomings, though, um, it is something that uh, that some people can definitely get into and become uh, addictive to. Especially if you're a fan, if you're a real fan of Twelve, or you're a real fan of the Final Fantasy series, um, I I I would say if you're a fan of Twelve series and you're one of those completionists that wants to say they played everyone um, in the in the series, you could do worse. <laughs> Final Fantasy Two, um, uh, yeah, you're you're not going to get as bad as Why, some of those. Phil, it sounds like you're ascribing the qualities of Final Fantasy Two with the second producer of this game that we spent most of the cast talking about. You know, the guy who took over after, after Dustin Matsuno departed Square Enix's company. I can't imagine why you would do so, of course. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't really keep up with these names too well, Mike. That's more your department. <laughs> well, I, I know the difference between Yasumi Matsuno and Akitoshi Kawazu. I don't know the difference between Bob and Chris. So I, I, I like I, I, you know what? If it wasn't for the fact you said those were names, I could have swore you were just you were just telling me off in Japanese. I, Bob I, I don't De Niro know. and Chris somebody or other. Yeah, I'm sure I knew somebody named Chris in the first grade. And wow, I am just blanking altogether on any other Chris's I might conceivably know in this universe because Chris thank Rock. you, grandparents. You I will never ever be con- be confused with Chris Rock. Thank you, Biggie. Yeah. So um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, just... Um, if, oh, Christopher Lambert. There we go. If, yes. The star of Highlander, the first one. The one that wasn't absolutely horrible. Yeah. So if you're a fan of if you're a fan of either the Final Fantasy series and being a completionist, I would say give it a shot. Or if you're a fan of RTS games and, you know, it certainly could do worse than to give this one a try. Um, overall, it's a pretty good game, despite your shortcomings. Just you gotta go into it with a little patience and know what you're getting into to get the most out of it. And I think uh, I think most people have fun with this, um, at least for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's fairly skippable, I would say. Skippable, I yeah. And I, you know, I, as a game that starts Vaughn, I have to give it two Vons down. Two Vons down. Oh my I had just asked Anna Marie Newfield, who did play the whole thing, if she would interject and tell us exactly what she thinks about the thing. And she has not responded in so many words, which means that she is not about to do so, which means your interpretation is entirely valid. <laughs> All righty. Um, so uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Cunningham, Storm, whatever his name is, uh, he gave the game a 3.5 out of 5. Um, so, uh, so he, he sort of liked it, but I think he also saw a lot of the shortcomings that you pointed out, Miss Becky, and that I, I kind of touched generous. on. You know what? Reading his, the text of his review, and I thank you, Mr. Mac, for your review because that helped me a lot. Um, <laughs> reading his review and, and reading the score, I'm wondering if this went past Glenn or not because I think Glenn would have knocked it down another half a point. Um, but, eh, eh. <laughs> It was earlier in Max's reviewing career. Yeah, right. I think, uh, yeah, I would think. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that if you know what you're getting into and you know what the weaknesses and strengths are of a title ahead of time, you can enjoy it a lot more. Whereas if you just approach it fresh, as an RTS, you're going to get frustrated because you're because of, because of the shortcomings and the fact that certain parts weren't developed as well as others, the control scheme and 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 the uh, the gambit's not really working out well. But yeah, yeah, maybe you skip it. Sure, why not? Flip a coin. All right. It is the only real sequel to Final Fantasy XII, though. So if you have to have more twelve, this is your only option. There you go. Or you could just go back and play twelve again and have a lot more fun. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna take a teeny tiny break, and we'll be back after this with the blast from the recent past.
welcome back. We're ready for our blast in the recent past section. This is the section that we normally talk about games that are about two years old, giving our listeners a chance to uh, maybe think about going back and buying some of those games. Maybe they were too busy and passed up, or maybe uh, convincing some of them who may have bought those games to just throw them out of their backlog straight into the trash <laughs> because some of them are just so bad. Um, however, uh, I'm going to start off this segment uh, talking about a game that's a little older than two years. It's actually about four years or so. Uh, I'm going to talk about Dungeon and Dragons Tactics for your PSP because it was a special request of one of our listeners, and I took the time out to play this game. Uh, Dungeon Dragons Tactics was developed by Kuju Entertainment, published by Atari here in North America on August 14, 2007. This is a single-player and multiplayer tactical RPG, and it is rated T for Teen and distributed on one beautiful, cute little UMD disc. Um, now, as most listeners know, my background happens uh, to be my first uh, RPGs were actually on the Commodore 64. They were the Goldbox D&D games, and I still maintain to this day that for their time, they were way ahead. Uh, they, I, I, I haven't played anything. In fact, I think it, was in, it wasn't until the 21st century that I played anything uh, quite as uh, tactically deep in an RPG uh, way as those original gold box games. So therefore, when I got my hands on Dungeon Dragons Tactics, I was tickled pink looking at the description of the box. This looked like uh, a, a 21st century update of those gold box games. You are literally making a party of six characters just like the gold box games. You are going to there is a loose story um that uh, that you, that kind of propels you forward. Um, I did like the stories in the gold box, but I was okay with the fact that maybe tactics wasn't exactly um, uh, you know Lord of the Rings or anything like that, and that was fine. It it, it wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't really a big issue to me because I really enjoy Dungeon Dragons uh, gold box games for building up a party and getting into tactical combat situations. And I mean, after all, that's the name on the front of the box. So, um, I, I, so I booted up this game. I popped it in. I made a party of six characters using, uh, I believe, what was a 3.5 rule set. My memory's a little foggy with all the different versions of D and D, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, um, a somewhat modified for the handheld version of 3.5 rules. Um, the character creation process uh, went by more or less how how I expected it. I built up my party of six characters based somewhat on a tabletop Pathfinder group that I'm currently playing every week uh, here in uh, Utah. And Sally Forth. Um, at first, uh, I would say for my first five to ten hours or so, uh, there's some, again, I mentioned it before, there's some story there. I don't remember it, and I really don't care. <laughs> it just it, it's something about yeah, we're under attack. We're looking for some brave warriors. Uh, prove your worth by going out and beating these guys first, and bringing something back, and you prove your worth, and then you got sent on on other bigger uh, types of missions. Uh, that wasn't so much fun. Uh, it was mostly about hey, I just want to see what I'm going to fight next. So you got these these huge areas in some cases. Sometimes it's huge dungeons. Sometimes it's huge uh, open areas where you're. Uh, where you're tasked with going forth and beating so many goblins or elves or whatever in the heck's in your way. Um, 
and, and tactics is a very important consideration. It feels it, it felt very much like the tabletop game, and that's what got me excited. Um, you are moving one character at a time. The enemies are moving one at a time. Uh, you're having to think your decisions carefully in order to uh, get the most out of your team. And and if you build your team well and balanced. And you use those tactics in battle as well as in your in how you're making up your team and picking your feats and such. You are uh, rewarded with uh, with easy overall easier game uh, gameplay, I suppose, um, because you're just going to cream everything that gets in your way. Um, the, so it definitely was bringing back deja vu of my of my my wonderful uh, golden days with the gold box games. The problem with D&D Tactics is the interface. The interface absolutely and positively makes this one of the most challenging games to stick with for more than a dozen hours or so. Uh, the menus are just unintuitive to, to say the least uh with a few exceptions i found doing a lot of things just uh more difficult than they should have been every single step of the way uh couple that with the fact that in battle or i shouldn't say in battle but when you're in a when you're in those maps where you would regularly engage in combat during those times where you are out of combat and by out of combat i mean you can even rest and re refill or, or gain your spells back so and and D terms that means you have to rest for at least eight hours so there's no monsters anywhere close threatening you in order for you to be able to rest you are out of combat well when you're out of combat in dungeon dragons tactics you have to move your characters one at a time and in dungeon and dragons uh, normally you have to, your movement is broken up into two different segments because normally in combat you'd move once and then attack move once and then attack you can also do what's called a full round attack and not move at all so every time i'm moving one person i literally have to pick the move command twice move you know pick it once move them four spaces pick again move them another six spaces or whatever the deal is and when you multiply that by six characters plus a summons or two or the companion for a druid it really takes a long time to get from one side of the board uh, to the other. It, it was just time-consuming. Now, if you have the patience, and if you play tabletop D&T, you probably come with a lot of patience already built in. Uh, that helps. But this game really, <laughs> really, you know, really tries uh, to, to, to test you there. The cool things about it, I mean, you do have a lot of your core classes from the D&D rulebook. you got the Barbarian, the Bard, the Cleric, Druid, Fighter, Monk, Paladin, Ranger, Rogue, Sorcerer, and Wizard. It's even got psionic characters, uh, the psionic, uh, the psionic, and the psionic warrior. Um, so lots of different choices, lots of ways for you to make your characters, uh, a number of spells to pick from. Uh, definitely makes it exciting. Uh, so that's a positive. Going back to the negative, so when you get into combat, you find out that some of these things are bugged. A great example is I love clerics to death, but when I cast my cleric spiritual weapon, the weapon doesn't move. That's evil. I like it when my weapon can move. So uh, the, the weapon is supposed to move. That's the way that spell works. But this game has several bugs, and that was one of them that I found out very quickly that it doesn't move. Plus, some of the skills that you may put your points into that you think are useful are just not useful in the video game iteration. And so that's kind of a downer, too. Um, overall, I ended up as much as I love Dungeons & Dragons to death. And I would have loved to you know, play this game all the way through. 
uh, I had to go ahead and just uh, stop around 12 to 15 hours because the interface was just killing me. The, on top of that, there's the there's occasional camera control issues. You move the camera around when it's uh, when it's your turn by using the thumb knob. That's okay, but the but the actual angle of the camera seems kind of fixed. So I wasn't able to see some enemies that were clearly on the other side of the board that were using ranged attacks against me. I just saw my guys. Everything kind of goes fast, even with the and I left the animations turned on. A lot of people turn them off because the game was really slow with the animations turned on um uh, but uh i would uh i i kept them on so that i could see everything that was happening and even then it was going so fast at times for the enemy's turns that i didn't realize that my hit points in my party was being whittled away by archers clear on the other side of the board so uh, the you know when you're playing a tactical game you need to be able to quickly in and uh, see what's going on around you you need situational awareness <sighs> so, it, it, unfortunately, this was a big uh, disappointment for me, and uh, and and it brings a tear to my eye because uh, I I I love tactical RPGs, and I've been dying for a modern uh, update of the Dungeon Dragons uh, Gold Box games from the '80s. Uh, between this and Temple of Elemental Evil for the PC, I have now been disappointed twice. <laughs> so, until then, unfortunately, I will play games like Baldur's Gate. And Neverwinter Nights, which uh, which are much better executed as far as they don't have these problems with the you know nearly as many problems with the interface. They're not perfect, uh, but uh, but in my eyes, they'll never be you know real true tabletop experiences because they're real time. You have to keep hitting that darn spacebar 500 times, and they're not really uh, tactical games like pen and paper games really are at the end of the day. So that they're based on. But I'll rather play those any day of the week over Dungeon Dragons Tactics for the PSP. Uh, I would probably give it a 2 out of 5 and only recommend it to hardcore Dungeon Dragons tabletop people who have a metric ton of patience for bugs and uh, interface issues and the such. If you, can, if you have the patience to get through that, you will probably enjoy it. From what I understand, you can actually get through... Uh, and work your way up through all 20 levels, and that that is that is uh, that is saying something because most D and D games don't let you get up that high, as it gets really complicated up there. So, if you're up for that, check it out. But if you're like me, you'll take the disc and use it for a coaster for your alcohol consumption. You know your alcohol cup and stuff before you get there. So that's my thoughts on Dungeon Dragons Tactics. You ready to go on and play it, Mike? No. <laughs> All righty. How, how many details would you like? Man, I'm telling you. Ah, uh, boy. All righty. So let's see here. Now, getting back to our normal blast from the recent past uh, game. Once we got a we got a couple here to pick from, don't we? Let's see. What about this one? It's called Percy Jackson something or rather Olympics. And the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. Yeah, you're gonna make me remember this. Yeah, you know, I mean, but but it's got a really cool, nice, long title. It's got lightning thieves. I mean, thieves who can steal lightning in my books are pretty bloody cool. But be- so, be- so before we get the length of the title, the length of the title is directly related to the quality of the game. Is is that what you, the hypothesis that you're making for me? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. And lightning thieves. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> and I mean, wasn't there a movie on this stuff? So I mean, there's a movie tie-in. Yes, there you was. Know that. And and guess what? That makes this a movie licensed game, which are always okay. the best. I mean, you you're right. Just think of Total Recall, 
True Lies, all Home those alone. great Terminator 16-bit games, those Alien 3 games, because a great movie translates to a great game. Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely, positively, every single time. And I understand that many of the Harry Potter games have translated into RPGs, although I have not played them. So this was uh, this was published uh, and developed uh, by Activision. Uh, this was released on February 9, twenty ten, so two years ago. It's a great blast uh, from the recent past uh, game there for that reason. And uh, this is a single player rpg i guess i didn't say on here but well, it is definitely an rpg, RPG all right for your nintendo okay. ds system yeah i'm having to look at my old review to remind me of exactly what this game involved because uh it's been two years and <clears throat> i'm sorry man the details are escaping me if i don't look at this review but our titular character percy jackson was, in fact, the son of Poseidon. And what did he do after becoming the son of Poseidon? Well, he ended up in a big story that, as I, I'm thinking here, I'm remembering a jaunt to Hades. I don't remember anything else about it, which is why I'm looking at the review. But I do remember that the people on screen, as I looked at my DS, had no relation whatsoever to the character's or I should say the actors in the movie. I have not seen the movie, but I know the actors, and I know that these actors are not represented in this game, which probably means that they did not sign off on its creation. The game itself... Um, hmm. Well, I beat it pretty quickly. I remember... <clears throat> There's this odd system where... Oh, this is why I write these reviews, because it helps me remember things so much better than just relying on unmemorable games that make no impression whatsoever. I didn't think it was bad enough to warrant a 1.5, but during the proofing process, <laughs> I was persuaded that it did, it did indeed deserve that, and I gave it that because... Oh, gosh. Well... Um, you fight things, they're turn-based, which automatically eliminates almost every other genre. What other genre, aside from RPG, is turn-based? Uh, That's our turn Turn-based strategy? Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I'm, uh, I will accept that. And this is definitely not strategy, though, because... I marked this thing as very easy in the challenge section and... There is definitely a reason why I did so. Because it was very easy. I beat it without any challenges whatsoever. Let me think. Well, that was a stupid endeavor. I can't remember anything about this game except uh, that I successfully defeated it with no real difficulty. And... Yeah, every unique fight, as opposed to random fights, is comes with fully healed characters, which is nice, but it also helps to eliminate any potential challenge. And enemies drop items really prolifically, which means that you will have no difficulty whatsoever in healing yourself 
even if you are not in the middle of a story-centric battle. And, oh boy. Yeah. Even reading my own text from two years ago, I'm struggling to remember what the what exactly happened in this game. Uh, I fought a bunch of things. I eventually won. I fought the minions of Hades. I do not recall whether I fought Hades himself. And then it was over. The movie did not do well enough to warrant a sequel, or maybe it did. I should check on IMDb to make sure of that. And thus, without a concurrent movie tie-in, we may not see a sequel that finds me doing whatever gods trained in the upstate of New York do. Or, I'm sorry, demigods. Um, yeah. This game is many things. It is not memorable. It is not challenging. It is not a standout in the DS library. And I can come up with no other adjectives or even expletives that would properly apply to its status in the RP Gamer coverage realm. So, I am happy to have said almost nothing of worth to our listeners except that... This game is not the bottom of the pit, but it is within the pit. <laughs> but it's darn close. All right, so two up, two down. Maybe our third one can take us to town. We're going to talk about... Phil, you were trying to rhyme there, weren't you? Hush. We're going to talk about White Knight Chronicles, developed by Level 5 and uh, SCE Japan Studio, published uh, by Sony Computer Entertainment. Uh, this is, we're at, well, the one I got here is a PlayStation 3, but I think it also came out for the, didn't it also come out for the Xbox? I can't remember. I, I think it's, it's... I think it's only PS3. Only PS3, okay. Um, this is was released in uh, around December 25th, 2008. Uh, this is a single-player and co-op RPG experience for your PlayStation 3 console. This is rated T, and it comes on one beautiful Blu-ray disc. Mr. Nathan, what can you tell us yeah. about White Knight Chronicles? Well, White Knight Chronicles is it's not a great game. But it's not a bad game either. Kind of in a weird space there. That I really like it, but I can't recommend it. Um, that also, is indeed no... an unusual recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I know I like it because it appeals to certain weird quirks of mine rather than because it's actually a great game. It's not bad. It's got a competent plot. It has decent pacing. You're, it's some fun fights. The battle system has got good sides and bad sides. Um, bad sides like your AI partner, you can't control them. At the same time, you're controlling your main character, and they're stupid. Good parts like you can transform into a giant warrior who can crush all who stands before you. Uh, yeah. I'm really not sure what to say about this. It's grindy if you try to get into the subsystems, but really well-paced if you don't. Uh, hmm. I don't know. What should I say about this one? Er, let's see here. Basically, I guess the story is basically... Like 12,000 years prior, there's a great dogma, event called the Dogma War. Uh-huh. Or the, the evil Yashranians fought against the good Athwanians. Though, 
Well, they're the supposedly the evil Australians and supposedly good Athwani, though they never quite give much justification for this in the story, or the fact it's just kind of implied. I'm just impressed uh, you can say those words. Australian <laughs> and Athwani? Your diction is superior, Nathan. I, w- I just want to say that. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um... Basically, in the ancient battle 12,000 years ago, the Australians almost won by creating five absurdly powerful giant suits of armor called the Incorrupti. However, the Athwani sealed them away promptly before their civilization collapsed, so the whole battle between the two great empires ended in a draw, which was fated to be resolved 12,000 years later in the modern era. And so the characters all get wrapped up in this fight as under the guise of the or- evil organization called the Magi, the Shrenians have revived, and basically they attack the king, uh, the kingdom of Balandor, kidnap its princess, who's actually the reincarnation of the ancient em- leader of the Thwani people, and they have to use the power of the knights to hunt down the enemies before they gather the knights, because supposedly if all five knights are gathered, the final awakening will occur, and something very bad but vaguely defined will happen. And that's basically the plot, as you try to Get, gather up all the knights and this game is incomplete it doesn't tell the full story it's finished in White Chronicles 2 uh, which the relationship between the two games is messy basically White Knight Chronicles 2 completely obsoletes White Knight Chronicles 1. There's no reason whatsoever to get White Knight Chronicles 1 because White Knight Chronicles 2 contains the complete White Chronicles 1 except it's better so don't buy this game at all. Buy its sequel even though the, the actual second part completing the story in Dwight and Chronicles 2 is a terrible game. Don't play that either. recommendation. Do not play this game because its sequel includes all the content that, or the story content that should have been included in this one, only yep. it eliminates the need to play the first one at all. And still doesn't do it as well as it should. No. It's a weird thing. Basically a giant tragedy as far as I'm concerned. That this is a game with a lot of good ambition and good ideas that was just is basically botched in execution and wrecked by I don't know, over ambitious maybe for the capabilities of the studio. Well, yeah, yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. It would seem that uh, that other people kind of felt the same way because um, it got a lot of not so great reviews. Yeah, but still, despite that, it has some great characters, or should I say, great character. Basically, there's a lot of characters in this game I really like because they're interesting and fun and well done. And it turns out they're all the same character. Nice. That is a major spoiler, by the way. So you have been spoiled. Oh, that's too funny. All right. Well, this really hasn't been our best blast from the recent past sections. We kind of talked about three games uh, that, um, for the most part, came out a couple of years or a few years ago that really weren't all that great. But now you know what to avoid when you're looking in the bargain bin at EB Games, going, hmm, should I pick up this White Knight? No, Nathan told me no. I shouldn't do that. Dungeon Dragons Tactics? No, Phil told me no. But here's this game with this really long name and about capturing lightning. Awesome. Oh, wait. Mike told me no. So once again, we have done our due diligence in helping you <laughs> to avoid some of these stinky games that we've had to play. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, Phil, what, what have we learned about February 2010 from the Blast from the Recent Past section? We've learned that it wasn't really a great month for RPGs. 
<laughs> and we'll come back with the final lap. Hold on for just a moment. Welcome back. Uh, we're ready for our final lap. This is the part of the show where we just kind of do some housekeeping, read some form comments, and the such. And hang on tight because at the end, we will tell you how you too can write your own form comments. Or better yet, you can call into the show and leave your comments via voicemail, and we will actually add it on to the show. It's awesome. The whole world can hear your story. And we'll talk about more about that in just a minute. But first, Technology is awesome. It is. But first, we're going to read some comments regarding our last show, which was episode 64, Way of the Dragon. XR2 writes on the boards, So twist my arm, I ordered a copy of Dragon Quarter. I've been curious about it since it came out, and since it's not obscenely priced, I might as well try it out. I played the beginning of 1, 2, and 3, but never finished any of them. I remember 2 being my favorite. All I remember from 1 is the life bar of the bosses. 3 completely failed to engage me after several hours, so I dropped it. Well, well XR2, I'll be happy happy to tell you that I fell asleep during all four of them. However, I mean, one and two was cool for its time. Don't get me wrong. Three and four was just kind of, kind of getting long in the tooth. But yes, you will love Dragon Quarter. And if not, well, I'm not giving your money back. But you didn't spend that much to begin with, so you don't feel too bad. Oh. Hey, Becky, it looks like you yes. left a few comments on the subject of Dragon Quarter. Please, Yeah, explicate. I didn't like it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Why don't we uh, zip ahead here to what uh, Kazriko uh, had to say. Nathan, you still with us? 
Uh, yeah, I'm here. What did, what did, what did, uh, oh, you're still looking over. How about you, Becky? What did Kazriko had to say? Oh, I'm playing games on pogo.com. I didn't know I was supposed to read stuff. <laughs> oh, for the love of Pete, what am I going to do with y'all? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Kazuko says, Breath of Fire 3 was my first game of the series. I played it on a rental for about 16 hours, bought it a few years later for about 15 more, and then finally made the concerted effort about 7-8 years later and finished it in 60 hours. Wow, that's dedication. I think that this is the longest time from starting game to finish I've ever done, but as soon as I finished DQ2, the... Uh, but as soon as I finished with DQ2, I really like this Does game. Does that mean Dragon Quest 2? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I get a little confused. Uh, Breath of Fire 5 was my next one. I loved the combat system, liked the story, and played it till I was just 164th just to see if the dialogue would change. When the character, who was also 164, referred to me as Low D, I pretty much decided it wasn't worth playing through another time, but I think I want to go back and play it again. Well, that's an awesome comment, because we all know that BOF 5 is a really, really fun game. Getting to one. 64th is is pretty is a pretty good accomplishment too because you uh the lower that number the better you start off at like 3,000 it goes down by you know by dividing by two so uh but getting all the I way should, down to 64 is pretty cool i should mention phil that whatever failings mr apps has and i know you have a couple of issues with his recent review scores he did send me breath of fire dragon quarter there is sample it that, in the very near future that makes him a very good man <laughs> so, uh, okay, does anybody have Mr. Hoctomaster's comments pulled out for me? Uh, sure, I'll take that. All right. I, he relates that I rented the third one years ago and didn't get very far through it. Then I bought it a bit later and got the last and, and got the last boss, died a few times, and couldn't be bother, bothered to grind, so never finished it. Grammar, please, people. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Nathan, d- don't call Hokdo Master out on his grammar. You'll Sorry. be there all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's compulsive. Keep, I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to spare you effort, man. People out on their grammar too much, and you'll be the next news director. Oh, my goodness. Keep, keep, keep going, Nathan. I still thought the game was great. The whole thing with 10 or so years later is one of the best story devices in cheap RPG ever, and it's a shame no game, to my recollection, since it's done that. And the whole fairy town side quest was also great. I also have the game for the PSP. <laughs> then number four, as I love the third one, I bought this the day it came out. Got the last dungeon, but... Oh, hey, this is a tongue twister. Got the last dungeon, but it got so confusing I never finished it. I left the whole scene part of the story from the antagonist side. It really showed his motivation for what he was doing. Five I didn't like, never got very far, and it's still only time I played sometime. And one and two I've got, but have haven't really played much. And and this is a common comment about five. I never got very far in it. I didn't like it. I'm not saying that everybody who didn't like five didn't you didn't get very far in it but but most people they kind of put it in and we mentioned this on that show um it's easy to die fast it's easy to become discouraged and you presume this game is trash or you read some reviews and you saw that you have to die again do some content over again and, da, 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 and throw it out let, let me tell you guys give it an honest shot i don't hear yeah. nearly as many people who actually played it for let's say more than 10 hours or so uh who who still hated the game yeah, for me, this was called the Vagrant Story Effect. The reason I tossed it aside was a terrible game when I first played it. Came back a bit later after hearing some good reviews and realized, hey, this is an awesome game. Oh, really? Vagrant Story? 
Yeah, that's what I did for Vagrant's story. Huh. I was hoping it would be way that for Prophecy 12, but it not, did not end up that way. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. All right, well, that, that's cool enough. That's that's pretty cool. All right. Um, uh, Liptis, uh, Liptis uh, has got some uh, pretty cool comments a little bit further down. Anybody got those pulled up? Yep, I'll read them really. Um, he says... Uh, oh. First time posting on these boards, but I'm a big fan of the backtrack. I would have posted some things about other uh, past shows I've been listening to, but I think that's a little far back. Well, well Liptus, uh, I will tell you, I'll interject there and say if you want to write something on an older show because it just, you know, go ahead and put that on like the newest show comments and, and just refer to that show. Hey, I'm listening to 32 and I'm thinking this. We'll get your comments on, or better yet, you can call our number that we'll mention at the end and, and always leave your audio comments and tell us what you thought of those games. We'd love to hear other points of view. I'm not sure if this goes along with the comments you guys made about the poor translation or not. Uh, but really late in the game when you're stuck in a dream world or something like that with no obvious accent, there's a statue that says, bow down and pray to me, and the will be open to you. I was stuck in this party game for a really long time. I eventually gave up on it because I don't like to read FAQs. Hey, dude, I can totally relate to that. I hate them. The thing was – well, I don't hate them. I hate the fact that I have to go to them. The thing was that a friend of mine was also playing through oh, the game. Phil, how, how could you possibly say the Capcom's translation department is not <laughs> absolutely stellar? They are. Uh, eventually, I broke down and found the uh, and asked him for the answer. As it turns out, you need to stand still in front of the statue after talking to about ten seconds. The funny thing is about this story is how my friend found the answer. Apparently, he was also stuck at the same part. And while trying to figure out what to do, he got up from the game to use the bathroom, came back, and the puzzle was solved. He had gotten up right after talking <laughs> to the statue, inadvertently solved it. Uh, let me tell you what, dude. These types of things in games are the types of things that, yeah, unless you just got up and used the bathroom. For me, I would have taken that disc and just thrown it in the garbage this bowl. I hate that sort okay. of thing. This is a slight interjection, but uh, this is one of the things I, I really liked about the original Breath of Fire 1 is that it, it's manual. Uh-huh. It contained a complete guide for the first two-thirds of the game up through past this point. So uh-huh. if you have the manual, you have the, man- the answer to this. Okay, good point, good point. No, 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 I'm a big fan of if the manual's there, it was in the manual, you should have read the bloody thing. No, that's true. If it was in the manual, you should have read it. Uh, By the way, Nathan, according to Hardcore Gaming 101, uh, Breath of Fire 3 is far superior to Breath of Fire 4. Would you care to comment upon that article? Um, it's a matter of taste. I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> say far superior. They're both decent games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, well, that's pretty much about the thing that always stands out for the game for me. Overall, I liked it, but not fun overall. I also went ahead and got a copy of Dragon Quarter after hearing what you guys had to say about it. Oh. Yay, another convert. Uh, from the way you described the battle system, it sounds a lot like Ra- uh, Radiant Historia with the setting of traps and thinking required for normal battles. Yeah, that, that sounds good. I can only comment upon that once I've put some time into Dragon Quarter. And once I have, you may rest assured that I will talk about it. Yeah, and we'll... I'd comment on it if I could actually afford Radiant Historia. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nathan. All I can say is that Atlas sent RP Gamer a review copy, and Mac offered to give it to me, and I took it. What is it? Is it like really gone up in price or something? It's like over 150 bucks. Holy right sweet mercy! Well, oh my gosh, it's like it's like 99 dollars brand new, 75 dollars. Oh, I'm gonna go sell mine right now. Whoa, I'm a prize. You that have thing. one, Phil? Of course, I got it when it came out. It's an Atlas game. I never wait on those. Every other game, okay. I wait till I it drops in too. price. I should sell it back to the. Old game store in town. Oh my gosh, yeah. Holy cow, you guys weren't kidding. Oh. Yeah, I, I wish I had gotten something other than, a rate, other than a review copy because review copies are terrible for resale. Anybody who's had a DS review copy knows that they're terrible. Um, um, so, but it was 
really good. So, uh, Mr. Minky, he goes on to say that this is since this is his first backtrack, he thought he'd like to make a suggestion of doing one on Valkyria Chronicle games, seeing that the second one is coming up on its two-year mark this summer. He said he could even give us some thoughts on the third game since he's imported and played a pretty good amount. Do do we have VC on our on our list somewhere? You should. I, I love those games. I will make an examination. So I would prefer that the import corner for Valkyria Chronicles 3 be within our age range. So I'll talk about that. Because I know Mr. Wheels, or I'm sorry, Mr. Apps. Mr. Apps, who was not here tonight because he had some prior engagement that was far more important than talking about Final Fantasy XII. He has the third Valkyria Chronicles game. Yeah. Has he played it? I think he has, but far enough to comment upon it informally, that is a far more difficult question. And if the so if the if the games at least um uh, I would say I think our normal line in the sand is about two years, uh then you are more than welcome as well to call our hotline and tell us what you think about the game, even if we haven't already talked about it. That's how awesome it is you can record your story. Before we talk about that, let's uh let's uh let's give some shout outs and say our piece and this is the part of the little part of the show we'd like to give each of our esteemed uh members and hosts a chance to say what they're doing, what's on their mind. Do you want to do some pimping? Let's start with Miss Becky. I'm playing Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, in case is... anybody hadn't figured that out by now. Hey, what you playing? Awesome and I love it. Is it cool? Huh? Is it cool? It's really fun. Oh, nice. What you like about it? Um, the combat's a lot of fun, and I like, um, actually, a lot of people have sort of put down the writing and the story and stuff, but actually, I think, um, oh, the quests are kind of interesting, and there's a lot of lore wow. in there. Whoa. <laughs> I think we have lost a host. <laughs> RP Gamer does not condone the actions or behaviors of our hosts on this show or anything they may say. <laughs> Is that something I have to bleep out? I'm not, I'm not really sure what the rules are on that. Anyways, you were saying. <laughs> the NPCs have... Um... Uh, a fair bit of personality. As a matter of fact, actually, one of the first ones that you meet um, who is talking about your main character who has been brought back to life says, oh, you've been released from the threads of fate. And you can say to, you can choose to say to him, that's not true. You're drunk. And you can say back, I am. <laughs> sort of like our hosts. Oh, my goodness. So you're saying this game anyway. even has more personality than Mike does right now? Well, I don't know about that. Okay. But I, I, th I actually think, like, you know, it's it's not, you know, great literature quality writing, but it's it's like pulpy fantasy writing. And, and sometimes, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> Whew. Oh, all right. Cool beans. Anything else uh, on your mind? At the moment. All right. Mr. Nathan, did you make it back on? Yeah, I'm back. All right, watch you it for me? a tiny second there. I can hear you loud and clear. Is there anything you wish to share or pimp to our worldwide audience? Mm, well, I'm just slowly working my way through the game Avernum Escape from the Pit from Spiderweb Software. I'm ah. hoping to review it for the company for RP Gamer soon enough, but it's taking some time. Might not come anytime soon. <laughs> Hopefully by its main release for the Windows and the iPad in April, but... No promises, the way I am getting through it. Yeah, those those can be uh, very deep and involving games, I know from personal experience. 
Uh, any initial impressions you wish to share with us? Um, some fun writing. Definitely a lot of fun writing. Some interesting places, nice worlds, with some questionably balanced encounters, basically. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can see that. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, let's see here. Well, we know who we're not going to ask right now. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I am still... Let's see. I, I mentioned Dungeon Dragons Tactics, so I've kind of put that aside. I'm playing Ark the Lad. Uh, one, I had downloaded that off the PlayStation Network. And you think I'd learned from my past mistakes, because I originally had bought... Um, all three of those games, you know, when it came out in that working design package that cost a crap load of that money. Was awesome. That was a beautiful package. I mean, that was worth it for the package alone. Unfortunately, the games weren't all that. Uh, you, well, I played, started playing, I don't remember why, but I stopped playing those games, even though I like tactical RPGs. So I, when I saw it on the PlayStation Network for Vuex, I'm like, yeah, let me go ahead and rebuy, the, you know, maybe, maybe I'm older and wiser, more patient now, let me try it out. So I'm playing the first one. I love the localization. I can't remember the last time um, I actually uh, just found the, the the dialogue so engaging in one of these older uh, you know RPGs, and uh, I love the joking. I mean, the it's just it's just funny as heck. The animation uh, is really really cute to the, to the animation of the characters. I'm really being drawn in and stuff. But then, um, but then. Uh, uh, but and the combat—it's—it's it's old school. It's one character at a time. They can't walk past each other, and it's a bit clunky. But that's okay because I understand it's back in the old day. What's what's given me room for hesitation so far is I'll be going through the story, which I'm very you know interested in, and I want to see some more wacky dialogue and I want to see some more beautiful uh, animation and such. And then um, I'll go through battle after battle. I'll be okay, and then suddenly it's a battle that I just can't get past unless I just stop and grind. And I mean, it's not even an issue of, of strategy or using items, because like I'm doing the one battle now where it's just me and this monk guy. There's only one character. There's no strategy. You go through and you hit the guy. You can pull back and cast a healing spell. Good luck, because the guy too hits you. And uh, yeah, if he gets a counterattack on you, then he gets a turn. It's game over. And it's like really, maybe I could look up an NQC see if there's a trick there. But it it seems like the game's yelling at me. Go back and grind, you idiot. Go back and grind. And I, I hate grinding. So Yeah, that was my problem with Dr. Lad 1. It's a 10-hour game from right here, but I just couldn't quite finish it. Maybe because I made the mistake of playing Dr. Lad 2 before I beat Dr. Lad 1. And Dr. Lad 2 is so much better. Oh, so 2, two is a lot better then? Yeah, it is, I think. Oh, okay. A lot that, bigger, a lot grander. And, and is the, co- uh, the, 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 is the combat a little bit more involved? Since it's the I second one? I guess so. We've got more options. Okay. It's been a while since I've played this game. It's a long while. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just suck it up and deal with the, the grinding uh, because you know, I know they're, they're kind of connected. And I, and, you know, of course, I didn't hear a lot of good things about 3 after that, so I, I probably won't touch 3. Uh, uh, 3's good, though. Oh, is it? Uh, I like that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, 3 is supposed to be better than 1, but not as good as 2. Ah, all right, well, fair enough. So I might stick with that a little bit more. And on my DS, I'm playing the most manly game that ever came in a handheld console. Super Princess Peach. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. 
This is a bastion of masculinism. She's got little emotion buttons at the bottom that you press. She can be upset. She can cry. She can be happy and heal. It's crazy. I, I tell you what, Becky, uh, you were making, you were going off. I think it was you, right? Who's going off on Parasite Eve in the third birthday? No, no, that would be Sam. Sam, I, I could go off. On them if I had had to play them, but I didn't. Yeah, Princess Peach, man, talk about establishing some female stereotypes in the whole nine yards. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of Princess Peach. Yeah. <laughs> well, so well, Becky, it sounds like you think that Princess Peach is not an archetype of feminist. Well, I mean, Idealism. as a, you know, but I mean, as, as a character, she's never had much. I mean, she's usually oh. one who gets captured and you got to save her. And occasionally Mario and Luigi get captured too. So it, it's not like she's the only one or because she's a lady, she gets picked on. The other guys get captured once in a while. And in this case, I believe Mario and Luigi are both captured and it's up to her to save. Where the feminism comes in is the fact that, yeah, she's kind of, you know, on the bottom of the screen, you got this big picture of her face. She looks kind of like a, like a duncy chick or something but it's the fact that you got these powers that are really based on her being emotional you know that really screams uh yeah stereotyping if you can get past that at least the gameplay is pretty solid it just comes across to me like any uh mario side scroller albeit that the difficulty level is much easier um you don't have a number of lives that you have to worry about if you die you start over at the beginning of, of the board the boards are pretty beefy and lengthy um, and there's been like one occasion where I paused and looked up an FAQ FS because I didn't realize that you had to use the crying power to move a big boulder that was in your way. I, I don't know how you connect those oh, two together. Um, the power of crying. Yeah, there's this big boulder. It's hanging on a chain. It's in front of a concrete door. There's a little hint block. This this game is so hilarious because it tells you every step of the way, oh, this looks like a place where you need to do this. You know, it's one of those games, right? And it's like, oh, just shut up. I can figure this one out. But in this one instance, I cannot figure out how to get this swing boulder that's on a chain to swing forward and smash the open door and the block tells you i think you need to run at it really hard and and hit it so i'm like running and hitting the hit button i'm running and hitting the slam button i'm running and jumping up and doing the slam but i'm doing everything i could think of finally i give up i look it up you have to get her crying first so you hit the cry button and then you run forward and i guess i didn't realize this but when she's crying she runs faster and i guess that means that the that that's enough force to actually move the big huge weight on the pendulum forward and bash down the wall. I would have never Phil, put that Phil, together. I'd, I'd rather not analyze the psychological repercussions of this implication. I was thinking you had to hit the fury button because I'm thinking she's so pissy she's going to move that boulder out of the way. But that's not the case. She has to be sad. So go figure that one out. But aside from those little things, I mean, it really does have a lot of animation. I love the the little graphics on it. It's got, um, it's you know, it's got it's it's Mario game, but it's got a little bit more charm to it and stuff. Like the turtles when they're going around, they got little musical notes because they're singing and stuff. So that's pretty funny. Um, it's it's just it's in some respects it's just really funny and 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 cute. But I think once I'm through with it, I don't think I'll be playing it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm still playing uh, lots of Pathfinder again, and I won't go into that because um, uh, I went through that last week. So, whew, all righty. Mr. Minky, is there anything you would like to share with the oh esteemed boy. audience? Well, I'll share the game space real quickly. As you can probably surmise, because I have not yet completed it, but though I am very close, I have been playing 
Final Fantasy XII. Who would have guessed, given the subject matter of this main cast? Um, and if you haven't picked up the tenor of my tone on this subject, then, well, you need to listen more closely. I have also been playing Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor 2. I have not played it far enough to give it a concrete judgment as to the entirety of the game, but the beginning is certainly gripping. I would like to say that the artist has no idea what realistic breast proportions would be for women, or else... Wait, I need some clarification, Mike. Are they unrealistically flat or unrealistically blossomed? Unrealistically dirigible-like. Like it doesn't look Becky human at all? It. Becky can look at the artwork and go, wow, this artist decided that women should just fall over with back problems for the rest of their life at the age of 18 Ooh. because their breasts have aged, have developed. I'm sorry. Also, it's as- one of those great video games. It's actually kind of a blast from the past when all video game artists were under the misapprehension that the breasts protrude from the sternum. Ah. They, don't, they don't work like that. No. Oh, boy, oh, boy, not, oh, boy. Not having any real breasts of myself, of my own, I can only surmise that what you say is true, but it does seem accurate based on every source of evidence that I can possibly consult. <laughs> and this artist does seem to, pre, does seem to prefer uh, breasts that are roughly the size of the entire head for his women. I Which gets don't. creepy when they're teenagers. Well, she's supposedly 18, but your point is still valid. I Yeah, they're I'm, always supposedly 18. Yes, Atlas USA, I don't care how you try to localize it. This woman is... She's going to have some serious chiro- chiropractic problems in <laughs> a very short span of time. But again, I haven't played enough of the game to give it a fair judgment. Instead, I've watched, uh, what is it, about two dozen movies? Yeah, something like that since we last did a podcast. Salt is a solid action movie. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Made me very, very mad. I will not re- I will not go into all of the reasons that made me mad right now because uh, I could take up an entire ten minutes ranting and raving about how angry this thing made me. Just know that of the nine Best Picture nominees for the Oscar, this is probably the least deserving. Haywire does deserve to be seen by anybody who loves action movies. It's not great, but Gina Carano does a good job as an action heroine. And there's Beetlejuice, and there's Starship Troopers, and there's Aliens, and there's Apollo 13, and there's Little Children, which people probably don't know. And I cannot sum up here because it is actually more literary than cinematic, but it serves as a pretty good movie. Just I cannot sum it up quickly, particularly after I guzzled a whole bottle of wine, which probably accounts for my speech patterns being less desirable than usual. Insomnia is one of the few Christopher Nolan movies that I have for gone seeing before and wow i am glad to have finally seen it because he does a good job on pretty much whatever he sets his mind to Spaceballs. anybody who doesn't know it go see it i don't care if you don't like mel brooks go see it anyway the princess bride anybody who hasn't seen it go see it again actually i don't i will not add any previews go see it 
period. Um, pumpkin, I will not talk about much because it requires more details than I can possibly put into this brief bit. Grave of the Fireflies, well, it didn't work as well as it did the first time where I bawled my eyes out, but it is still an incredibly sad movie where you watch two children die. Mr. Roberts, I love Jack Lemmon. That, sh that should just go without saying. The Last Samurai, Edward Zwick, good for you. You make good movies pretty much all the time, and this is not great, but it's good. Bowfinger, anybody who hasn't seen it and who happens to like Frank Oz comedies starring Eddie Murphy and, Fr and Steve Miller, Steve Martin, admittedly, that's a very small market of people who haven't actually seen it, but if you haven't, go see it. It's really good. Red Tails, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. It's so disappointing. I, I hate CG used for planes that actually exist when you can see them. I walked inside a B-24, people. I saw it. I saw it from the inside. And it, and it is not CG if you go inside the... Never mind. Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, that's fun stuff. I love Kurt Russell. Punch Drunk Love, one of the few Adam Sandler movies that I actually enjoy. Harry Brown. Do you know who Michael Caine is if you don't? Go see this. It's Death Wish, more or less, but well done when Michael Caine is on screen because Michael Caine is always worth seeing. I have yet to find a Michael Caine performance that was not worth seeing. And I saw Beauty and the Beast in 3D, which didn't really add much. I cannot recommend seeing it in 3D, but it is still an incredibly good movie. How to Drain Your Dragon is very good. Not necessarily great, not necessarily one of the best movies I've ever seen, but you know what? I like it anyway. It was far better than the trailer, which was complete garbage, led me to believe. Frost Nixon. That was fun, too. Hey, Mike. I think you watch a lot of movies in a span of the two artist, weeks. The artist, I should probably write about it on the forums, mostly because I have a lot to say about it, and I can't really sum it up right here very well. Hmm. Fair enough. Alrighty. Oh, and two people walked out of the Descendants when I saw it last night, which means that they most likely did not read enough about it beforehand because I don't know what offended them about seeing the movie. Uh, yes, there's profanity. Yes, the young women in it bear things that might offend people who are of a certain age, but it's set in Hawaii. People wear that all the time over there. I... I don't know what to say about the descendants that will sum it up quickly because it is a complicated subject that I would have to spend a lot of time on. Alrighty. Oh, and Hollywood After Dark, which I saw courtesy of the film crew, which is the Mr. Science Theater crew, between their Mr. Science Theater job and the Rift Tracks incarnation. And it involves Rue McClanahan of Golden Girls stripping. Yes, exactly what you wanted to see. Am I right? <laughs> oh, boy. As if you wanted to see uh, Art Garfunkel jokes, deservedly, you're going to get them. Oh, my. That was deserving of the MST3K treatment. All righty. Um, 
it's uh, speaking of deserving of treatment, some of our uh, listeners, they have a story to tell, and it deserves some really great treatment. Um, <clears throat> and I mentioned this last week. I'm going to mention it again for those people who might have skipped that last podcast. But um, uh, we have a way that you can share your stories uh, via auto recording and have it listened to by millions of people all around the world. We understand here at RP Gamer that your experiences in RPGs are much more exciting than any old silly real life story that might be out there. And yet, there's no really great way for us to record it until today, actually until a couple of weeks ago. Now you can record your thoughts on your favorite RPGs from way back and right up through yesteryear. Save your most precious memories for your posterity and generations to come by calling a certain phone number after you take a few simple steps first write down some notes or a script of the um uh, of some of the things that you are uh, that you want to say that you want to get out there have your thoughts organized for your big moment in history make sure you write down the name of the game the system and the year of the release just like we do on the rpg backtrack we like to have all that information up front next pull out a watch and go through it once as you time yourself, make sure you sound kind of good. Not a, you know, it's not a big production, but you know, just make sure your thoughts are coherent and make sure that you're in between about two to five minutes. We're not really sure how long the the recording will go on for, so I wouldn't push it. You might lose everything that you've done. Next, call us up at the RPG Backtrack. Our number. Get ready to write this down. I'll give you a second. Look for that pen, piece of paper. Pause the podcast. It is eight zero one eight one zero. 5597. Tell us your story, and if for some reason you totally mess up, just say so. Hang up, call back, do it again. It's no big deal. I'll, I'll just delete it and move on to your next one. As long as you follow these guidelines, your story will be immortalized on an upcoming RPG Backtrack show. So call us today. One more time, that number is 801-810-5597. And let's see here. Looks like our next show coming up, RPG Backtrack number 66. I'm going to Disneyland. We will be talking about a whole bucket load of Kingdom Hearts Honestly, games. Phil, with the title like, I'm going to Disneyland, what could we possibly be talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, but okay. So, yep, tons of Kingdom Hearts games, all five or six of them or so. Uh, so check it out. Uh, that will be going up in hopefully a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, I will remind you that RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcsermonrpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. You can always listen to all 64 of our previous podcasts as well as our sister show RPG Cast, all at rpgamer.com. On behalf of myself and Mr. Minky, I thank our good friends Miss Becky, Mr. Nathan, and wasn't there somebody else on the show? Uh, whoever that was that was on the show earlier, we thank him or her it too. Um, and 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 special thanks to Mister uh, Mister um, Michael Cunningham, whose review was instrumental uh, in helping us talk about Revenue Wings early on today. Uh, Mister Miki, why don't you put us to bed? I don't have anything deep to say about Final Fantasy XII that you haven't heard before. You can either go with Nathan's approach, which definitely is not unique. I have heard similar cases from people on the forums before about Final Fantasy XII just rubbing them entirely the wrong way. 
or you can go with, well, most of our other panelists approach, which did not achieve necessarily Nirvana, but it did achieve something worth playing. And all I can say on my own behalf is that uh, 51 hours in and I'm enjoying myself. As for Revenant Wings, um, well, I haven't played it. It's better than Heroes of Mana, but that's more or less like saying that a sledgehammer to the kneecap is preferable to having an anvil dropped directly onto the skull, which is not exactly a sterling section of praise. (laughs) 